Welcome to Spy Satellites, a podcast about Dune, Imperium, and the people who play it. I'm your host, CJ, and this is Rotation 9, where we're reviewing Dune, Imperium, Uprising. So join us, why don't you, for a roundtable discussion focusing on cards, combos, atomics, and everything spice. If you like what we do, please give us a like and subscribe, and if you'd like to support us, you can do so on Patreon at patreon.com slash hiddenassets. Supporting us helps us continue to produce quality content and gives you access to some pretty awesome perks, including voting for the upcoming podcast topic. So tell your friends and let us know how we're doing. We're always trying to improve the quality of our content, and we can't do it without you, the listener. So today, orbiting Arrakis with me is our tournament maestro, Black Shadow. Welcome back, Black Shadow. Yeah, howdy all. Hope you're keeping fairly well. No, uh, no minor topic today. Um, with yeah, our our full review of Uprising. So no pressure on us. That's right. Whatsoever. Uh, we have obviously had a bit of time to play around with Uprising now. Obviously from our, our jaunt to North Carolina as well as our own uh time of playing the game. CJ's got a physical copy of the game now. I don't know if it's available over here physically yet. I've not had a chance to it. Should, it should be. It should be. Asmodee does distribute in Europe in Europe. Starting yeah. it's starting to creep out around other places in the world. There were some delays in Europe with the shipping, I believe it was. Um but that's not giving me the opportunity, you know, I've had plenty of chance to have a crack at this. So uh, yeah we figured after our vote with the the, the, the Land Jack Council, huge thanks to everyone supporting us on that. Uh well, yeah. We are here to give you our full review of dune uprising which is no small feat as i'm sure you indicated by the length of time of this podcast yeah um so it, it's kind of the ones where like if you want something that's going to go real into the weeds on this then i do welcome you to hidden asset safari tour uh, <laughs> however um yeah we're also got some surmise thoughts you coming up so if you're interested in more brief we'll get to that in a moment Yep. So we will uh, have some timestamps below. So if you want to skip ahead to different sections where you're interested in, please feel free to do so. Um, so let's just get right into it, though, like our overview of Dune Imperium Uprising. And, uh, you know, Black Shadow, why don't you start? So, yes, Uprising. Where to begin with this? Um, let's go from the very top up. This is a good game. I think this is a very, oh, yeah. very good game. <laughs> um, I think there is no debate about that. Um that I do wonder occasionally if that's maybe the questions being asked. I I've done a lot of sampling and a lot of kind of looking around in the build up to this, kind of gauging people's thoughts, um, reviews, comments. I've looked at other people's reviews to kind of base off of. And there is a question I do find that comes up a, a lot for Uprising, um, and I think it's a pretty valid question. If I have the base Dune Imperium game, do I need this one? Um, I sure. think it's a lot more of a difficult question to answer than it looks on the face of it. But a lot of people ask this. A lot of people indeed did ask this when Uprising was first announced a couple of months or so ago. Um, I think it's fair to note that maybe the initial announcement for it, there was a bit of perhaps muddled messaging at the time. Obviously, we wondering, is this a standalone expansion? Is it its own thing? Is another addition to that? Um, some people, it wasn't the most clear what was going on. Um, and I don't think... I think it's fair to note that there was some confusion at the time. I don't think it's a big deal on in the grand scheme of things but I don't want to ignore that that's been the case. It's also right. difficult, I think, for this game, because there's also a question of, of legacy, uh, and the fact that uh, Base Dune Imperium is a really good game, um, and it's still a really good game. It has, obviously, expansions, Resurrects Immortality, which definitely, I think, helped kind of 
smooth out some of the indifferences. I think, largely speaking, it was better for the product than worse on it. Um, but, like, based on Imperium on its own, it's still really good and really yeah. enjoyable. That's something that has been kind of made uh, reminded to us with the release of Dune Imperium Digital, of course. That is just based Dune Imperium. And playing that has been refreshing and enjoyable and reminds you of kind of, like... Sometimes you don't need loads of crazy gimmicks for something to be interesting and enjoyable. Yeah. Just good side mechanics, um, you know, fun interplay uh, is plenty good of them. And you know, and that bears with that. So, I mean, so that's a, know, that's a really good point. Like, actually, I've been I'm playing a lot of base game, and um, I, I've just been just really content with that. They they've got the challenges in there. I think they're called, and uh, you yes. can kind of do these little mini games where you play against AI with specific uh, tweaked rules. Some of those mm-hmm. seem to have been pulled from uh, our Canleys, so that was pretty cool. Um, uh, I and yeah, make so... no official comment on that. <laughs> but uh, the yeah, I I think that overall, like, so w- before we get into like the the nitty gritty, I think like the base uh, framing of Dune Imperium base game, Xmo Uprising, that base framing, um, deck building, worker placement, conflict at the end of the round. That tension and the race to 10 points is a winning combination. I think it's just a really phenomenal um, set of mechanisms uh, that that come together really well with this package. And I love the theme, of course. You know, I'm a big Dune fan. So it obviously yes. comes together very well for me. And so, I mean, I just give this... I, I think Uprising is just a stellar product. And, and so uh, that doesn't mean I don't have some issues with it, but I think that I have issues with everything. So that's just a me thing. Um, but uh, <laughs> you're just, you're just a bit, you know, you, you want, you want the best for it. I, I can understand that. You know, yeah, you've been yeah. around this sort of thing a lot more than me. And that's kind of where uh, I, I want to point out there. There is a bit difference to, to myself and, and CJ here. CJ has been around board games a lot more than, than I have um, from on my part. Like this is kind of the only thing I've ever played kind of like this is doing Imperium, whereas you've got a lot more familiarity with a lot more of the wider concepts. So we do have kind of different uh, opinions going into this, which I think is good because it's different. You know, not everyone knows everything, and I make no suggestion whatsoever that I'm like a maestro of of board gaming knowledge. Far from it. Um, so I'm hoping that perhaps that complements itself. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just the one thing I want to bring with Uprising. You know, I, I, I do think that there's a, you know, I can understand why people ask the question about like, if I've got the base game, do I want this one? But it's it's difficult because like, obviously we can we can compare it to base Dune Imperium, but it's also a very different product. There's a lot of under the hood changes that go into this that make this very kind of different in its exact focus and the kind of things you're going for and what it intends to do. Even if the basic framing of the game and its general structure and its mechanics are basically the same, there's a lot of actual differences to the point where I think the two are actually surprisingly different products. Yeah, 100% agree. And I think it's that's a really good metaphor. I think it's kind of like having two of the same car with different engines a lot of that's that's a really good way of putting it this one feels almost like you know if if x and mo were kind of like bolted on turbochargers to base game then this is just a bigger engine i'd say like this is just a bigger engine and so there's a lot more going on in uprising that is interesting that gives you more room to play um that is more variable um and so i think that that has a lot of things going for it. i think it's 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 got it's got just more stuff 
and it has more yes. flexibility, and especially for those of you out there who are listening who are competitive players who play in the community online, then you're probably pretty excited about Uprising, namely because it gives you more freedom of doing specific cool things like spies. We'll get to that in a bit. One of the coolest things that they've added to this game um, flat out. I think it's one of the, the best mechanisms. Oh, I don't yeah, think definitely. anyone would disagree with that. Yeah, it's it gives you creativity in play because you can play spies wherever you want, but you know that allows you to either make cool plays later on or, or future planning for f- for future rounds. Yeah, um, you know, devious plays to steal alliances. It has so many cool rewards and takeaways that um, that I think a lot of competitive players are going to really enjoy. Um, yeah I, I i do agree um i think the well i'll say like i don't necessarily think it's the most like it's kind of weird i do think it's the it's the best we'll get into more detail the spies in the moment um it's probably the most enjoyable i think addition to it. it may not be the most like important change in a way um but i would say like i do think pound for pound uprising it, 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 it's there's more going on with uprising than say base dune imperium i have to kind of try to compare it to base dune imperium rather than that and its expansions because I do think once you have the expansions, which, you know, yeah, bit turbochargers, bit kind of like patches of, of the base game and tweaking it that, that kind of takes it into its own direction a bit. I do think Uprising and Base Dune Imperium are probably its closest neighbors. Um, and, like, this definitely, like, has more going on for it, you know, per moment. It's almost like this is, like, if you took Dune Imperium in an alternate universe... And there's already, this has already got its first expansion with worms added in and adding them to Hangar Basin. That's kind of yeah. what Uprising feels to me. It's like it's already got that first expansion bolted into it and already hard integrated into it. And that's not a bad thing at all. Um, I think that shows kind of where you know the game is and the, the, the creativity that's, that's been enabled in this. And definitely, yeah, there's a lot more going on for it. And I think overall it's a better product. Um, but again, it's like, I can understand people have like, say, well, I've owned dune imperium for three years do i really need uprising because it is kind of the same but it's kind of not and hopefully this is a question that we'll be able to answer for you guys as we go through yeah and i mean this is kind of like what direwolf does is they kind of iterate on existing properties so like clank uh clank has like three or four i think three or four different versions there's like the legacy Mm. version there's base clank there's clank in space and then they have like you know expansions for each of those so there's all sorts of different things, just kind of like, you know, play how you want sort of style. Like, do you like this theme better? Do you like that theme better? Like, do you like giant worms? Then this one's better for you. Do you prefer more of a slower, uh, maybe more straightforward gameplay? Maybe base Imperium is better for you. You know, um, they are very similar in a lot of ways. And so I, I can't answer that question whether you should buy one or the other. For me, I own both because I like Dune. <laughs> I think there's only one Dune game that I don't own, and I think it's like House Secrets. Like that game, I'm not really interested in like more social deduction. But like for, but for me, I like have every Dune game, and I actually had the the like dumbed down version of the um, Gale Force Nine big game, which I resold because I just I was like I can't find a reason why I would play this game over Dune Imperium. Like it's just a better four player game. So like I mean I I've gone through all of the different Dune games, and so. Um, like for me, uh, I have, I have two games that I play that are Dune now. It's like the big Dune game and then I have Uprising and I have, I play the digital version of course of, of Dune Imperium because I just think like sometimes I just want to play that and chill and it's, it's really peaceful. The, the, the sound effects are so great. 
like and it's the bar of entry is so so low so you just jump in there and you don't have to worry about tts uh mistakes or things like that you can just get into to the game and play i'm getting off topic to do an imperium up. yes i, I, I was but i was i, love I that. didn't I, want to interrupt you you, you were going know, off on a tangent i, I was apologize like, let him let him rock and roll the guy likes yeah. his look he likes his but looks. i really do love uh digital i think digital is great i've earned a couple of bugs that are hilarious like one which didn't let us finish a game i just want to point that i put put that out there there was a game that we were playing four player and it was a really tight game and everyone was like really bummed out but at one point someone started roping basically like timing out and then it went to the next player and then they timed out and it went to the next player uh, and they all timed out and uh, they're like we're still here what's going on so everyone just consecutively was timing out over and over again and we couldn't actually end the game end the round it was pretty funny um yeah but anyway like besides that and it's an early access of course the uh the implementation is great i personally think uprising for me uh, I don't know if I'm going to go back to playing Ix and Immo anytime soon. Uh, I might, like, three or four years down the road and go, like, let's revisit revisit this, or maybe a year down the road. But right now, like, there's so much to to grab onto and unpack about Uprising that I think, overall, it just is a more exciting thing. Um, but I think it also has, there's something to, to be said for its appeal to the competitive groups out there versus just a straight up casual play um i have taught this game to a couple casual players now and they have enjoyed it um but i think that it's harder to grok than do an imperium based game or with ix um even ix is a little bit a little bit harder because there's more you can't really evaluate first time you're playing how good the shipping track is unless someone says you should do shipping um and in this way, I think it's similar to Ix because you kind of like have the worm factor and you go like, well, worms are good. You should do worms. But that comes with all sorts of interesting nuance of choice and order and who's going to get what. And it's a little harder to predict than shipping in Ix where you can go like, okay, second player is going to get sh- shipping if they do this or this or third player will if they don't get this. So that you know kind of dynamic exists but it's a little more complicated um so if you're a casual player this is going to be my bottom line for wish whether you should buy uprising or, or stick with base game if you're a casual player and you play this like you know once a month um i think maybe like you'd be better off with base game honestly if you play this game every week and you your group loves it and your group is a big fan of like base game um, yeah, with Immortality or X or whatever, you've been playing that for a long time. I think, you know, Uprising is a good product and you should pick that up. Because, I mean, you know, those of you who are playing this game competitively, this is for this, this is kind of a lifestyle game for you, maybe. Um, it is kind of for me. And so, like, in that case, you know, stick with the lifestyle. That's how, that's my opinion. Just, I actually, I actually differ here. Um, which I didn't actually expect to happen, but I kind of mm. do. Like, if if I someone asked me who had never played like any, this is where it gets so tricky, and this is something that I think that has been a slight difficulty, and I have been noticing like looking through the rules and such, uh, and I think this is notable with um, there has been an attempt with the developers for this to obviously try and give a, a quote easier way unquote to play the game, like without without using like the churro modules, for example, which just just gonna say it right now. 
Don't just 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 play the just tremors. use them. It's not that, that complicated. Is... Just use them. They're a good part of the game. Not having why? them doesn't really make the game any simpler. I I understand why it's there and I get it, but you should just just play it every single game. It's really Even funny if, you, if your first game. That, just, that just, is... just play it. Yeah, that, that is one of the funniest things about the rulebook when they give you this very simple thing to add to the game, whereas, like, there are all these other more complicated things in the game. And if it, it's like, but it's like saying, all right, I want you to learn how to uh, run hurdles in and track. Um, but now I want you to do it with a different shirt. It, it's like, it, it's, that's not that different. There's nothing different. Yeah. It's like, it doesn't matter. You know, it's like, just, yeah. just add I, these I, things in. Super I get easy. why they did it, and I don't want us to be like, this goes out live, and then 15 ma minutes later, Paul Denimesh is saying, you know, we can't be friends anymore. I'm not trying to <laughs> induce that. It's just that I, I I, I understand what you're going for there, but it's just, it should probably just be, like, part of the base game again. And just, just bolted in, hard iron. It's a very minor thing. Like, I'm not going to use that as a stick to be with, but it is something, it's, it's something I've noticed, that, you know, I do think there has been a little bit of slightly muddled messaging, I think, with Uprising, which has slightly played it um, for its release. And again, this was notable when it first came out, and there was a lot of BGG threads. You know, people kind of with questions, what exactly is going on? Why should they? Um, and it's just slightly emblematic, I think. It wasn't the most polished release for this um you know now that's not to take away from the game i still think the game's really good but it just it's kind of like a slight kind of recipe in, in that stew um that wasn't what yeah. i was going to talk about though there was something okay. else i was going to mention and i can't be um well, but before you oh go, before God. you move on can i can i can i comment on the the yeah um, please do please do the release do. so yeah the, i think you're i agree with you that i think that there was a little bit of mixed messaging because everyone expected this to be uh an expansion because it's it's called dune colon imperium colon uprising which sounds like an expansion and that's what's weird about it but it sounds isn't like it's standalone it? it does kind of yeah but uh it's yeah that that kind of and people online you know like this sounded like an up uh, an expansion is an expansion and there's like dozens of these bgg threads that have now been answered hundreds of times i'm sure and it's uh it's a little weird but then you know people are a little reactionary online and i i think that um no nothing you know it's it's easy to be mistaken online and, and and take this a different way but obviously it's uh um it did have a bit of a reaction that i i was i wasn't surprised i was a little surprised with i honestly um even after uh you know the designers uh, posted on their on on direwolf digital and, and explained everything you know um but not everybody checks that every day and then <laughs> like i do so I, it's uh i, I think I think the lessons were learned, and we can call yeah. it that. I think you know it wasn't the prettiest. That's the way it goes. Um, and again, the thing is, the only one of the reasons that that happened is because Dune Imperium the, itself is revered very, very highly. A lot of people still enjoy yeah. playing it. It's played tons. You know, it's still top ten on BGG, and the internet's never lied about anything. So hey, that's got to that's got to count for something. Um, yeah. But you know, base Dune is really, really good, which is why people ask us and saying, "Well, is this just? It, does this make what I've owned for two, three years completely redundant?" Short answer from me. Not necessarily, um, but like uh, the point I was trying to make originally, if there was someone who had like never played Dune Imperium before and was interested in getting hold of one of the games, personally, I would actually just tell them to get straight into Uprising. Um, it is a little bit more complicated than base Dune Imperium. Uh, there's, I'm not going to say that's not the case. But I don't think it's that much more. You know, I think part of the uprising is a lot of kind of subtle nuances to the game, which maybe Ix doesn't in the way it kind of operates. Obviously, you've got like the spy mechanics. Yes, that's definitely tricky to get hold of and to make good use out of, you know, the worms. And obviously that makes a big change to the game. We'll get into that in a moment. 
Um, but honestly, I don't think it's that much more complicated than X. And if someone's like completely blank slate, I would probably just get them straight onto Uprising, personally speaking. Does okay. that mean that, in my opinion, Base Dune is redundant? No. I think they're two different ways of consuming the product, I guess. But that's just how I see it, personally. And I, I, I talked about, like, I talked about it you know, before this even got announced about Dune Imperium 2.0, and it was a natural progression for the game. You couldn't add anything else into Dune Imperium with the expansions, and that was definitely the case. And this wasn't a million miles away from what I was thinking about, so um, yeah, I was definitely good, happy to see this. And admittedly, there's been some things that I wasn't sure about going in, but I think I feel a lot better now having actually tried them. But yeah, to me, I think if um, if you haven't got any, I would probably just say get Uprising. Um, if you're going to enjoy Base Dune Imperium, you're going to probably enjoy this as well. If you've already got Base Dune Imperium, should you get Uprising? I think that's a little bit of a trickier question to answer. I think it depends, obviously, on how often you think you're going to use it, how often like your group might well play it. It might well be that perhaps you decide to find a way to give it a try first somewhere before making that decision. I can understand that. But I would say if it's Blank Slate, I would probably personally... If you're going to grab one, grab Uprising. Um, it's, there's a little bit more going on, but I do think you'll be better off for it in the long run. And, you know, this is where a lot of the focus is going to be for development at this point, I think. Yeah. That is my assessment of it. And obviously that's different opinion to you, but, you know, that's that's fine. Yeah, I mean, that's totally cool. I mean, uh, yeah, from, from my perspective, I think that Uprising has um, more hard-to-evaluate pieces from a strategy perspective which i think makes it a little harder to teach newer players not that you know if you have a like, gamer friends who play heavier games like I don't yes know, this is an important like, distinction big, to yeah, make. yeah it, yeah if I you're like, into big heavy heavier games or if you're even into mi middleweight games like you play a lot of i don't know castles well maybe castles of burgundy is a good example it's kind of a medium weight game or like uh great western trail even or like uh brass or something like that if they're, they're probably going to be able to pick this up really quick but if you're looking at maybe a lighter medium player, someone who you want to introduce to more medium games, I think I'd stick with Immortal or base game um, and maybe add X later on or something like that as you grow into the game. So that's that's my and, and neither option is bad. That's the thing no, I'm trying no, to make. Okay. Neither option is there's no right or wrong answer here. But maybe the problem is, is that there are folks that want there to be a right or wrong answer sort of thing. Because that makes it very easy to distinguish and categorize. And, and I think the truth is, it's it's not quite that simple. Uh, which maybe isn't a good thing. I don't know. Uh, it, it's Your mileage is going to vary. Yeah. Anyways, we should probably get into yeah. some more detailed mechanics here. All right. Uh, well, let's go through some of the things that we really like about Uprising um and uh, let me kick it off uh, i'd like to actually start with explaining what the spy mechanism is we didn't really talk about it because yes. it is my favorite thing about uprising it is i think a lot of people's favorite things i've talked to a lot of players and they just say this this is the best part um well so spies are a new addition to dune imperium and what this is is you have three little tokens little cylinders that you may use um, and certain cards will give you the ability to place a spy and um, the spies go on these little outposts they're like um, I can't remember what they're called I think they're called outposts or um, uh, observation posts that's the term that's the one yes yeah they're observation posts uh, they go on these observation posts which uh, are between two different 
agent locations on the board and uh, they always connect two or one location actually so I think that Imperial Basin is only uh, the, the the desert spaces are only one but um, then what you can do when you have an agent uh, have a spy on that space is if you go to a location with that is connected you can pull back your spy back to your supply and a recalling it's called and you can draw a card very simply you get extra cards um, or if that space you wanted was occupied you can also go there um, that you couldn't normally go there by pulling back your spy by recalling your spy it lets you quote unquote infiltrate that space and now you have access to that space so very flexible mechanism that gives you um, access to things that you might not otherwise be able to get to um, kind of fills in that role that Helena Riches did in base game and also the infiltration uh, cycle of cards in Ix and Immortality. A bunch of cards that let you go spaces you wouldn't otherwise be able to go. Um, there are also no intrigue cards that let you infiltrate because these are covered by spies. So it kind of let, it lets them kind of like condense a lot of these um, other mechanisms down into and kind of like say we don't need those in this portion of the game let's get rid of those and let's put other things in so um, it frees up a lot of design space and also uh, broadens the decision space so that's one of the reasons I really like spies so uh, did you have anything to say about those or oh yeah plot tons i Don't mean like, sure. <laughs> um, yeah definitely I, I i do agree yeah spies um there's been some fun introductions to this game some that maybe have more of an impact in a way the game works but spies is is, is definitely i think the the most enjoyable thing to have been added to it and I, i'm really grateful for it. and a variety of reasons there is for that as we've talked about like it definitely does um it adds a lot of extra dynamism to the board I think one of the criticisms that players occasionally had in sort of base game uh, is that you get into a situation sometimes where you just have like a random draw of cards and the obviously you've got things that, oh, I want to kind of get to Highliner or, you know, I want to get to this particular space, for example. And now you just draw five cards, you just don't draw it. And it's critical round, it's round seven, it's a big conflict, and you don't draw that access. You're like, oh, great. Well, I don't draw it. So that dude's going to go there instead. And that's it. What do I do? You know, stuff like that. And that feels pretty bad. What spies is allowing, it's almost like a safety net in a way. Um, so that if you don't draw the access immediately, you can still get it. You know, you can find ways to kind of shift your strategy on the fly and say, all right, okay, well, I've missed that, but I can still go to Espionage, for example, and try and draw some cards, or I can go to Arakeen or whatever else, and I can try and find that access so I can still get there later on. It's not like, I, oh, I just didn't draw it. That's it. I just don't go there this round, um, which is obviously part of Euro games, and that's obviously um, that's part of the mechanics. You know, it's who gets their first use of the action, locks out for the rest of them. But I think the game is a bit for it that it allows the opportunity for people to kind of almost have a second chance in a way because you know we we see it all the time in competitions. I mean, even like in our current XMO tournament, for example, when like when someone misses out on that round of shipping because they just didn't draw the access, like that's pretty big, and it feels terrible. Um, and it's not a good place to be. So I think it definitely makes just a better experience that's it. But even like outside, there's there's, there's so much extra stuff going on. Um, I think in effect, because you can use it for infiltration for like faction spaces as well, it makes alliances a lot less certain in a way. 
you went to like base two and Imperium, for example, like if you get to like um, you go to both faction spaces and you get an alliance because of it, it's so hard for anyone else to catch you but outside of intrigues because they just can't hit those spaces themselves. Well, now you can. All right, you can go espionage and you can go there, but then someone else can go there because they've already got a spy there. And then maybe someone plays like distraction so they can put a spy on that spot and then they can go there and suddenly you've got multiple people using the same space. Um, so there's a lot less sort of shutting out of players. Again, I think it's better. It makes just a better, more dynamic board situation. Um, and you, you're less worried about, oh, I absolutely have to go there first. You know, people can kind of play a little bit more th their own strategies and their own tactics, as they go, which I think is probably better for the experience. That's that's a good point. Um, I think that the way that spies add to uh, board variability is really interesting. And it's also... Um, it's all it's also interesting that you can use them strategically as defensive um units basically if you mm. want to keep your alliance and but you really want that card draw you might just leave your spy there to keep somebody from infiltrating a space so you can yeah. block up those those spaces so there's some really cool plays um very very kind of mean plays it feels like you're like dang if only that spy wasn't there i'd, I'd be able to get that but yeah i've been running into that a lot i've run into that situation quite a lot in this game but I mean, that's that's really cool. That that creates nice tension. It creates um, good drama and stories that that you can tell about the game you just played. Like somebody did that. And, that, and, and yeah. it allows for a, a more opportunity to have like a player or like a longer term strategy on the board. Um, I think a lot of Dune Imperium um, has been kind of, it's more about like people's tactics as they go and kind of like going kind of round to round. Maybe obviously thinking like maybe a round or two ahead sort of. But it's kind of difficult to kind of craft a strategy that kind of goes all the entire game because of, well, one bad draw, for example, you don't get to a space you want to get to and it all kind of falls apart. Now you don't have to worry about that so much, you know, because you have that spine, you know, you've got that quote guaranteed access unquote um, it allows players to kind of craft out their game a lot more further into the future um, which i think for allows just generally for a lot more kind of creative thinking a lot more skill expression um and for people again it's just you just don't want people being bummed out of like oh i, I you know i i need to get the space i just didn't draw it okay he's gone ahead of me well now what do i do and you get from people trying to like make the best out of a bad situation so like okay well i've got this option and i know i've got that safe but maybe i could go there first and do something there and then return to that and people have suddenly got feels like a much bigger wealth of opportunity to them on the table um, i think this is complemented by other features in the game like the contract stuff like that obviously we'll get to that as we go um but it, it just feels like a more kind of pleasant experience i think for people generally playing the game because you just feel a lot less restrictive um, and it's kind of a way around that as well, because you think as well, like at the very start of the game, there's not a lot of spaces to go to, if you think about it. I mean, you know, you think kind of obviously so expensive, you know, you've got more spaces now that are bounded by influence requirements. Obviously, there's no Mentat. Deep Desert is a hefty water requirement, so people are not going to be getting to that very often. And so spies can kind of mitigate that so that if you are kind of struggling with resources or influence, whatever reason, you can still use spies to guarantee you access spaces by like uh, Margo, for example, is very strong because she can just whack down these spies on the city spaces. So she's always got that kind of out. If people just rush city spaces, she can still get there and she's got that kind of fallback position. Um, so I think that has obviously definite strategic value. But I just think from a player perspective, it just feels a bit nicer and a bit kind of like a, a way of getting out of certain restrictions. And that feels pretty good. So this is uh, maybe a good time to 
shift our gears. I, I think we've said enough about spies, really. Um, the only thing I wanted to mention I was gonna is... Say, I was going to say yeah, one ahead. last thing quickly. Uh, and you mentioned about it. The option to recall spies for yep. card draw. That's really good. Um, and I think it's a really nice touch that so they're not stuck there. And also, card draw's big. Um, you know, and drawing the extra card, like, that yeah. feels pretty good. And that can do a lot of good stuff. So I just want to make mention, uh, I think it's still... People are still sussing out when exactly to do it and when not to do it. But like getting mm -hmm. that extra card draw, for example, like an Arakeen or something like that, or, or accept, even accept contract and getting that double card draw for a weak card and letting that enable the rest of your deck, I do think is a really cool touch. I yeah, yeah. Carry on. No, 100%. Um, there are a lot more. Speaking of which, uh, I wanted to talk about like the diversity of spaces and access um, because the board itself is dramatically different than it was before. Not dramatically in that it's well, completely it isn't, it different isn't it? it's kind of yeah. weird yeah uh, so so we have um a bunch of new spaces that are restricted as you mentioned so uh in addition to the fremen um siege tabor uh space that was basically like restricted to you have to have two fremen influence now there's two other spaces there is the uh sm the shipping space um which kind of replaced the ix uh interstellar shipping in my mind i think it's yeah. just a better way it's to implement that yeah um and i like that a lot i really like this space a lot it, it's actually one of the more the more i play the game i find that this is one of the more um higher level like spaces when you have to like understand when to hit that uh when when to get access to hit that is very important and the next one is the uh, the new Mentat space, which is Imperial Privilege, which costs three Solari now, but not only does it recall an agent instead of giving you an extra agent for the round, um, it gets you the ability to, to trash an Intrigue card and draw a new one. That ability is pretty massive. Um, and the draw, the card draw, of course, is nice too. So there's three spaces on the board now. Um, not And let's just not forget that there's deep desert you mentioned that has a three three water requirement yeah, pretty uh, hefty. which is pretty heavy so so essentially from the beginning of the game you only have you have four spaces that are are locked out to you um, and, and, and research and, station you're not getting to a lot of the time either yeah and there's research station for two water there's also um you know of course highliner and um the sadakar which was the conspire space slightly different but basically the same thing um, those are all locked away too. So initially you're more restricted in this game. Um, and But one of the things that I love about Uprising and the way it is presented to you is you, you are restricted initially, but the board blooms open and you gain these new effects as you plan out your, your strategies, as you get influence. And so part of the really fascinating thing for me is how and when you go to certain faction spaces to get that second influence so that I unlock privilege for my next action, right? So that I unlock shipping, you know, it, so those, these sorts of things are really important. And I think that they make a lot of sense from a strategic and, and like a, a competitive standpoint. I think that they make it more interesting. Um, there's also, uh, I guess we haven't talked about the Bene Gesserit space, but it's it's a kind of <laughs> important thing. It's a bit step-by-step. Step. There's, there's a lot yeah. going with the board, definitely. I, I do agree. Yeah. Uh, yeah, espionage has changed as well um yeah the, the board i think overall it, it it the board in a way kind of to me feels a bit like lessons learned from the past which is obviously partly what rise of x immortality was doing anyways to uh the base game 
um, because you had certain spaces that weren't necessarily being used all that much, and there were ways of kind of trying to bring kind of extra traffic to those areas. Um, and I think this has been like this kind of like almost rewrite in a way of the original board and retweaking it. I feels like a, a much uh, an attempt to kind of like give greater balance and, and agency and just allowing people more options and more reason to go to these various spaces. Like the Hall of Oratory, for example, change uh, to the Assembly Hall, for example, is so... It feels pretty good now. You know, going to Assembly Hall oh, yeah. with a dagger for like a persuasion and an intrigue, you know, it's pretty good. And you think like back to the old Hall of Oratory or like tech negotiation, they were kind of kind of dead spots a lot of the time unless you were going there for a specific reason or you had literally nothing else soon now some people will go assembly call like first action because they want to get those intrigues built up for them you know looking obviously to buy some decent cards stuff like that gather support is a deceptively decent space uh in fact i would say like the entire council area of uprising um just feels so much more dynamic than it used to be um, you know, because the spaces just feel better. High counts, you can revisit. Imperial Privilege, I've got to make a mention to as well. Um, it, it's really awkward for me, because like, I really enjoyed the Mentat space for Base Dune Imperium. But I think the truth was that, especially when Immortality came out, that it kind of just got bastardized. Um, yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah, and and that is just what it is. Like, it got very spammy. Um, you know, and it, it, I still say, like, it always amuses me. It's like a, a round, it's round nine in an Ximo game, and in the old barn's first action, go straight to Mentat. You know, and it, it never isn't funny to me that you see that, and that you almost expect it half the time. It, it's, it's, it just is what it is. That's the way it goes sometimes, well, uh, and that's unfortunate. So, and people privilege like the tweak to it to like make it so you can't stall anymore. Mentat, like you've got to replace another agent. Um, it forces people to interact with the board more. Um, you know, you've got to make that initial move on the board before you. You could go there immediately first if you really wanted to, but you're losing so much value. Like you're not really ever going to do that. Yeah, yeah, that that's a really good point. I think the. The most important change for me about Imperial Privilege versus the Mentat space, because I love the Mentat space, and I, I thought that that was a really clever way to jump the, the action queue and mm. to go last. I really like that. But it keeps that, that same functionality. You're still doing that uh, with the Imperial Privilege space. It just costs one more. Um, but I don't think the cost uh, is as important, honestly, as the fact that you have to do it as your second action in order to get value out of it. I think that that's a really clever change. Um, and that makes you have to plan out your turn a little bit more differently. Cause like I'd be, I'd be pressed to go like, man, if only I could hit Imperial privilege first to draw my card, get better. Yeah. The options you can't but you can't do that out the board yeah, you, yeah, can't you can't stall. just do that you can't just say i'm just not going to do anything i'm going to see what happens that's not an option to you anymore that like, you're forced to interact with the board you're forced to interact with the players you're forced to like make an early decision and the thing is that you've got to bear in mind obviously where you go first is also an issue because like if you're desperate to go highliner well, if you're going Highliner first in like a round seven conflict, you kind of can't go Imperial Privilege because then you're kind of having to recall your Highliner agent. And of course, you don't want anyone else going there. So um, it, it for me, it addresses some of the issues I think had developed with the Mentat. I, again, I agree. The Mentat space was cool, but I think it had just run its course. And I think this cool. is a nice refreshing way of kind of viewing. It still performs yeah. a lot of the similar sort of... Uh, you know, it has a lot of the good, but it cuts out a lot of the things that weren't quite working for it, and we're kind of getting a bit old and stale of it. So I do think the yeah, Imperial Privilege specifically uh, is is a, is a great change. And there's a lot of other great changes on the board, though, as well. 
Yeah, but one more one before we move on, I, I want to say also it's it's a change, I think, born out of necessity of the restricted spaces on the board, which is to tie it back into what we were talking about a moment ago, that you are pulling an agent off the board, which is opening up a space for another player. So mm-hmm. that that dynamic is really clever because before you had more open spaces, so like having a space cluttered up on the board didn't matter as much. But now it matters a lot more because there are fewer options. And late game, if you get stuck with, uh, without like access to like shipping or something like that to get, um, you know, a bump or something like that, and you don't have fun, uh, faction access, you really feel those constraints. You really start to feel a little bit claustrophobic on the board. Um, and additionally, the, the another cool thing about that uh, that imperial privilege space is because you pull that that agent off the board not only are you opening up a space for another player but you're potentially opening up the space for you if you wanted to double down on a space if nobody goes there so i think that's really interesting so you could potentially hit a faction three times or more if you have other like wonky combo things like you know the uh the sardaukar recall or or whatever but like that that opens up a lot of interesting plays that and this is what kind of going back to our initial discussion of of uprising versus dune um base game is that these plays are not immediately visible and those kinds of nuance are not visible i'd say on maybe your first three or four plays because there's so many other things that you're noodling with your figure figuring out um so i think that this you know that's one of the reasons it's i like this one so much is it's it's got this rich decision space. There's lots of interesting ways to play with it, but again, it comes at that barrier of a- barrier of entry. Um, mm. So yeah, I, I love I love the space. I love the change. I do miss Mentat, but you know, and I going back to playing digital, I was like, oh man, it just feels good to just like go Mentat first action. It just really feels good to do that. Um, so I yeah, but you know, it's the different flavor, right? It's a different flavor. Yeah, yeah, right. completely agree. It's, it's just it's just better. Yeah, so let's uh, let's move on. Okay, so we talked about the restrictions on the board. Um, I kind of wanted to touch on the changes to combat, a conflict. Okay. There are some pretty massive changes in Uprising. I think these are almost, this is almost the most significant change uh, to the way the game plays um, through variance. So basically variation on the existing structure so we have these 10 conflicts right you play 10 conflicts one level one five level twos and four level threes the four level threes are all the same but they're ordered in different ways so you know they're coming now in dune imperium and ix and uprising you had these uh conflicts that had you know one or two points on them and specifically the the level threes had like two points on them um but they couldn't really do it that same way because of the way that worms work in this game. Because worms double any reward that you get from the conflict. So if you were to just get four points out of nowhere, <laughs> that'd be kind of too good, right? Um, but, so they, they've kind of added that into the game in a way that makes sense, Um but is a little bit fiddly. <laughs> I'm going to say this is part of the this is one of the things in this game that I think is a little fiddly. So on each of the conflict cards, players can see this little icon. Either it's a desert mouse, a Chris knife, or an ornithopter, a yellow, green, or blue icon. 
Now, players start with one of these cards dealt with to them, these like uh, icon cards. That's not a conflict card, but it's just an icon. And what happens is if you win a conflict, you also get that card, that conflict card, and you add it to your you know, pool of cards. And if you have two of the matching symbols, you can flip them face down and get a point. So essentially what it is, is every conflict is worth a, about half a point sometimes. You, you start with that half a point. Um, and, and so they were able to take a lot of those uh, rewards off of those cards and put other ones on. Because there's not a lot of space on those cards. Those cards are pretty small. And they have to fit first, second, and third place conflict rewards in addition to all the other graphical stuff on the card. So this is a kind of interesting dual purpose. It's like let them fill in uh, more re resources on those cards, but it also let them take those points off of them, specifically from the first second, first and second uh, level conflicts. They've kind of just removed almost all of them, all of the points. Mm. I think there's like one or two, maybe, that have points. There's one or two where like you have to spend a resources amount to, to acquire them, but there's no just right. like you win, you win Carfag, you get a victory point. You know, right. It doesn't work that way anymore. Right. So... And this is, I'm interested to hear your thoughts on this because um, this is one of my sticking points that I've kind of been, I'm not sure about uh, with, with, with Uprising is that conflict has become more central to the game. It was always kind of central. It was happening, but you can ignore conflicts and plan your turn, plan your next round, do whatever, um, and kind of just say, like, I didn't want to get involved. But because it could be a point for someone else, uh, you're incentivized to get in there and deny them that point. Um, which I have, there, there's, there's this kind of like almost sunk cost fallacy involved in this because you don't, you keep committing, you can commit to the conflict to try to beat somebody who's going to win it. And maybe they win the game or something like that. Or maybe you win it, bankrupt yourself, and then the person gets the next conflict anyway like there's some interesting dynamic there that is weird um so i wanted to touch on this because mm. there's three things that that not just bother me but i think that the three things that i think are are points that competitive players have raised and things that i've heard and things that i personally feel strongly about one is doubling rewards too strong um two are the icons on the tops of the conflict cards fun? And three, is there too much randomness in conflict now? Um, and the randomness has to do with you are dealt a random card at the beginning of the game, one that gives you either the first player token and it's a desert mouse or it's a Chris knife or another desert mouse. In a three player game, there's also an ornithopter card. Um, sometimes, and I've seen some board game geek posts about this where the players had like three of the same icons show up in a row and and then they're like well i could never pair my my icon ever <laughs> and like wow that's and they're like it's just a one percent chance of that happening um or whatever you know they yeah, there's yeah. Like I, i've math. seen i've seen the threads i've seen the threads yeah i know yeah I so so there's there's that that aspect of it um now, Dune should Imperium, we probably just tackle that before we get into more? Because obviously, sure. combat is a mat. This is a big topic. Yeah. yeah. Um, so Let's we start with probably that. break this down as parts we go. Um, I will agree uh, that there has been definitely a shift for Uprising. Um, you know, basically, Imperial obviously, it, it, 
It's always interesting because based on Imperium is that mix of obviously you've got like uh, the Euro style worker placement. There's a bit of debt build, there's a bit of PvP and that sort of thing. And the amount where that's varied, I suppose, has, has varied a little bit over the expansions. But there's absolutely no question that Dune Imperium Uprising has a much greater focus on decisive combat. Uh, it is a, a big part of the game now. Uh, I think that is one of the things that folks that have played a lot of base game, especially with XMO, coming from that background and coming to Uprising, and myself included, I'm sure CJ included, I'm sure a lot of people listen to this included, it's an adjustment that maybe is a little difficult to make um, because we're used to it being in a certain way and now like being involved in those conflicts, round seven, round eight sort of thing, I wouldn't want to say feel mandatory, but the emphasis on do. I will combat, say that. With, the emphasis on decisive combat, especially of worm victories, is very, very significant. And that is an adjustment that we have to make. Um, your margin is going to vary in that little bit. That is just an assessment of that. Let, let's start with the icons, first of all. I think that's the first place. That's probably the, the best place to get to uh, for the icons. I admittedly wasn't initially sold on the battle icon matching system when i first wrote when it first came up in design diary number whichever one it was i can't recall off the top of my head um i got what it was trying to do but on the face of it on paper i wasn't the most sold it felt a little bit maybe unnecessary and it was like kind of a, like do i need to be playing a matching game i'll play in dune imperium in actual playing i think personally it's borne out better than i expected um i think it's interesting on two fronts uh, you obviously bring up the bat that like you know sometimes players feel a need to get involved in combats more necessarily to deny other people scoring a load of points and that does sometimes happen i do think the flip side is if someone perhaps was maybe not too keen on getting involved in a combat at the beginning of the round and then it flips up and it's an icon they can match like oh actually maybe i might actually commit for this instead um i think the idea and i think a lot of the ideas about uprising is that i i feel like it's attempting to make players have to engage with each other more um we talk about it sometimes i do talk about it occasionally when i'm covering games like Ximo about the concepts of people playing solitaire and when i talk about that what i mean is someone gets to a situation where they can just basically decide to stop interacting with the board and the other players and fairly confidently just play amongst themselves uh, draw some cards, buy some other flows, and just win the game. Um, yeah, but that's and... not gone from the game. I don't think I'm that's not... ever gone from the game. I'm it just gonna... means that that yeah. doesn't happen maybe quite as much. No, There's still it... solitaire strategies that exist in Uprising. They, they, there are, although I do think that they are sometimes enabled by the table not dealing with that, but that's a totally different conversation. Let's not get into that right I do think it's a lot harder to do, however. Um, I do think the various combat changes make that happen. Um, you know, I think unless you've got, like, a pretty comprehensive deck advantage, like, you know, there's been maybe two or three really good cards only that have come out, and you've got them all. Other than that, I do think you you kind of are... You're, you're incentivized to get involved in combat, either for your own benefit, or because you're scared of what other people are going to gain from combat. And Worms does definitely have a, a part of that. But I'll get to it in a second. But I do actually think, personally, I don't mind the, the icons. Um, I didn't think I was going to like it. I actually think it's okay. Um, it's, a, it's a little tweak, a little bit extra sort of something going on. To kind of just try and wing people into getting involved in combat. Because, like, oh, okay, well, there's my battle icon. I'm kind of like, if half there to go for combat. If I don't go for this combat now when I know it's there when is it next going to turn up? Because it will eventually turn up, 
but it might not turn up for four, five, six, seven rounds potentially. You don't know. Um, so I do think it's it's a way of kind of like trying to drag people, you know, maybe or trying to give three people a reason to not just play amongst themselves and have to kind of interact with the board as a whole, which I think is at least a noble effort. At least I I can't fault the the idea about that. Yeah. But then we get into stuff like the the worms and the shield walls. Well, hold on, hold on, uh, hold on. Is... Before we get there, oh okay, you want to? Okay, you got more. I still okay, have more stuff on. to say about about these the these conflict okay, cards. So. Okay. Sorry, sorry. No, that's okay. Um, we're just kind of. Oh, there is something I did so. forget to mention. Yeah, good point. Fair enough. Carry on. Yeah. So, uh, into an Imperium with four players, and I have only really played this four players. I have no interest in playing a three player. I've heard stories that this has some issues with three player um, because of the way that the combat conflict system works now. But anyway, um, the interesting thing about Dune Imperium in four player, there are only the two icons given out to players for the reason that they wanted everyone to be on kind of equal footing. However, not all of the conflicts are equal in their value. Um, I find a lot of the conflicts, the, the Chris knife conflicts specifically, to be way, way better than most of the, uh, the the mouse conflicts. Most of the mouse conflicts are behind the walls, which means you can't double them if you have worms. But the Chris knife conflicts are easier to double. I think like all, maybe not all of them, um, but but at least the level uh, twos. They're probably evenly distributed, and I'm just m making a mistake here. But um, they feel like they're just simply better. Um, specifically like you get you get all these influence bumps uh that are not behind walls so you can just throw out worms and double those effects if you win it those are massive massive conflicts to win like that essentially unlocks board spaces for you if it's like an emperor or a spacing guild or fremen you you can get an alliance you can unlock uh new spaces um and you get points on top of it so if it matches so there's that the the one thing that um, it feels to me a little bit like there's too many ways to get these secret fiddly points. Um, I don't really like that we start with a card that gives us half a point. I'm going to come out and say that. I don't like that. Um, I think it's imbalanced in a way that's not very interesting. Um, it's like, here, you have an icon. Oh, you've got a different icon. Is your icon better than mine? I don't know. We'll see. That doesn't seem fun to me <laughs> that's one of the I things mean, i wish we didn't yeah, have in this game. I, I can get what you mean it, uh, but but I, even I, more I, than I, that more than that i think that because we already start in four players at one point we actually are starting at one and a half points um which obviously makes sense they're taking points out of the game and putting them in different places so i don't know that that actually improves conflict for me um I always felt like if you're going conflict, you build a deck to go conflict and you do, you, you know, to, to fight, you do that. You can still do that. Um, but it also feels like you are almost more incentivized to get into these conflicts when you just don't want to do that. You just, you don't have the resources to do it. And you're like, I'm priced into doing this. And if I don't, I'm giving it to someone else. And so it feels even worse when you don't go into the conflict it has for me the opposite re the opposite of the intention which is to keep people engaged in conflict for me it feels like i don't want to be engaged in these conflicts why are you forcing me to do this like that that kind of bothers me 
as a person who wants to have more agency in this game. Whereas I like the conflict or the, the parts of the game that are giving me more agency. I feel that conflict takes away a lot of agency and I don't like that. So you feel um, the, forced into situations that you'd rather not be involved in. Yeah, exactly. And I think that that it's obviously done intentionally um, and mm. with good purpose, but from a player perspective, and I don't know if any of you out there echo this experience, but I, I like feeling that I have a choice. But sometimes in these conflicts, obviously I have a choice in to not go into the conflict. I always have those choices. But it also feels like if I do that, and more often I feel that I'm giving the game to somebody. And I don't, I, that, that feels bad. Um, because of the way that points <clears throat> kind of, they, they're hidden in those, those, uh, those icons. You're like, oh, they're getting a point and they're doubling their rewards. Yeah, like, I was gonna oh, say man, this. This is bad. this is not just the combat. It's like a lot of this factors into when worms get involved. I think that's okay. what. I mean, that's what. Like, um, I do think the two are very interlinked here. Um, I do. do you, did you want to say it's, one more it, thing about the the t icons before we move on to the worms? Because I think yeah, that's also I, I, yeah. I mean, it's it's a natural move on here. Like, I, I don't know. I I'm I'm unsure. Like, I it's a different philosophy. It's a way of getting to it. I think personally like kind of giving people reasons to like maybe get involved and be a bit more opportunistic in combats i think inherently i don't personally have much of an issue with but the problem is it's when when worms start getting involved and especially like some of the conflicts uh you know if, like if you get some of the conflicts come like in round two round three like protect the sieges test our loyalty and stuff like that um which give buckets of resources and these are combats that are not protected by shield walls and if someone got that early access to worms and can just barrel in that cannot feel the greatest um and yeah, sometimes yeah. you just can't stop people getting worms that fast um you know be it they won an initial skirmish be it they've got like on you know they fluked an intrigue you know stuff like that like sometimes these things do happen um so i can i can understand reservations um but i do think it's if there are issues of that it's not just because of this it's about worms I agree. And shield wall, which is I agree. which is where we're going to get to next yeah year. So let's let's move on to the worms. So, all right, I 100% agree with you. It's not just a, an issue with the the conflict cards icons, which are a little fiddly. It's something to explain to somebody. You're like, by the way, do this matching thing, but that's fine. Like, that's not hard. People can understand that. The um, the next thing that we want to talk about is how worms improve or change uh, conflict. So, a worm is worth three strength in conflict. It's kind of like a dreadnought, but it can't go back to your garrison. It only just disappears. All right, it goes back to the sand, back to the desert. So you have these worms for one conflict, and then they go away. Um, there are only two spaces on the board that allow you to get a worm. Um, that is Haga Basin and Deep Desert. Haga Basin costs one water to go there, and Deep Desert costs three water to go there. But before you can do that, you have to get level two uh hook level two on the the fremen space and then go to siege tabor which gives you your maker's hooks once you get your maker's hooks then you can go summon worms that's the kind of process it's a three-step process you know get influence get hooks get worms yep so so i think all of that in theory works very well uh, i like that tension of who's getting maker's hooks when they're getting them uh, i like that the tension of who's going to get worms who's put spies on worm spaces so they can keep going there those things are really cool i like the tension that the worms bring because we know after a couple games you'll realize that they are really 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 good not just because they give you three strength it's just because they double rewards and doubling rewards is 
pretty massive. It, it's 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 an unbelievable game changer that I, this is one of the reasons I have a hard time kind of like winning this game is like I, I'm generally more of a kind of player who likes to play spice must flows and the game forces you into more conflict so you really do have to pay attention to those level threes that can give you two points normally maybe one point from paying and if you can pay for it again you can double that so you can get four points total from a card and then if your icon matches it could be five points like a five point round for you uh, it just wins you most of the time. Wins you the game. Yeah, yeah, it's it's decisive conflict. Yeah. Definitely. So, no uh, although I I would quickly mention, I actually personally think that it's getting those worms on like those round three, round four conflicts. I think are just as important, maybe even more so sometimes. Especially if it's like you know, you think like uh, protect the siege is the one I always always bring. Protect the siege is is the worm conflict early. Um, if you can get like any position on that with a worm. Like, it's insane. You know, you think you just limp in a worm, maybe, for, like, third place. That's four spice. You know, you win it. Like, that sets you up for the rest of the game. You know, from an alliance, enough water to, you know, host a swimming convention. Um, and you've just got absolutely tons of firepower. I think, in a way, sometimes those are, are, are even more important. Um, and, obviously, and you're winning those in your pairing conflicts. I definitely agree. Obviously, the tier threes. And being able to like double up, you know, those those hard victory points and the opportunity to spend a lot of resources to win those points also is pretty good. But I, I think in a way sometimes if you can get like worms on like some of those early ones, like the the um, the one that gives you like the the wild bump spice freighters, if you can get that, if you can win that with a worm and pay the both sets of free spice for a victory point, like your massive favorite to win the game, stuff like that. Um, yeah 100 100 agree and that is that that could be yeah. a massive swing like really early and it can be really hard for people to come back to that as well yeah so i i wasn't trying to deflect from the level twos but i think that 100 percent agree with you the level twos are Karen. actually i think more of a problem than the level threes winning five points i think winning five points that's something you're just going to have to get used to there are going to be games where someone's sitting at six points or five points they win five points from conflict and win the game by a margin of like five points that yeah. happens and it's going to happen in this game more. And it's also one of my maybe, um, it's both a good thing and a bad thing. It, it creates interesting tension and it, it, and it you know, it, it it creates that kind of drama that I love in this game. But at the same but time- it's very alien to us. It's, We're not used to this at all. It's, it's also a little bit deflating when you see the final score and you're like, that person's at 10, we were at five. What happened? Like, you know, those sorts of things don't feel good from a post-games perspective where you're like, hmm, it wasn't really that close, was it? No, 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 it was. It probably was. It came down to the last conflict and somebody won. But that feels more like a Hail Mary style game. And this game does feel more like Hail Mary than like uh, incrementally who's going to get the, the last couple points, which is what Imperium felt like initially right it's like we're creeping up we're racing to 10 points we're racing there who's there first it feels like get to five then get five points or get to six yeah, get it, four it points. can get very it, swinging yeah. there's no doubt about yeah. that you know um, but, and then people are just kind of accumulating points of like friendships and like maybe a couple of faction alliances and then all of a sudden someone just like charged into round seven conflict and then find some worms out of somewhere and they just win the game like that that isn't I mean, that's obviously that's the way it goes sometimes. It doesn't necessarily have to be, but it cannot feel great. You feel like you had like a pretty decent advantage. You're just like, okay, I just need, I just need this one thing not to happen. And then it happens and then you've lost. And that's, right, right. you know. 
and in that way, I guess it's it's fine. This doesn't happen all the time, and obviously, I've had I've had more than fifty games of this now. Um, I can say that it happens some of the time. I don't know what percentage of the time. I didn't keep track of that, but I'll say that there are many games I've had that have been closer. Like people are like at ten, nine, eight, seven points, or you know, eleven, ten, nine, eight points. There have been lots of those. So in some ways, some of the games resemble like Ix Immortality uh, in its tightness. And sometimes it doesn't, but that's okay. I'm, I'm fine with that variability. Now, I'm not saying that that's a hit against the game or anything like that. I'm saying like that creates this kind of drama that I like, but sometimes I'd say the, the amount of points that you reflect on the board doesn't feel right. Like, I feel like I played more than a five point game, you know, or I've played more than a six point game, but somehow it just didn't work out that way. That'll happen. Yeah, yeah, um, I, I can see. Like if you, if you finish at like, you know, eight points, for example, in base to an Imperium, you can kind of plot out, okay, not, not just obviously look and say, how did I score those points? But it's not like, I, you ever, like, unless, like, something crazy happened in a final conflict where you were going to score, like, a bucket of points and then, like, get some end game off because of it as well. Like, typically speaking, like, it, you, you re- yeah, your results kind of reflect fairly reasonably what you'd achieved in that game. Whereas, yeah, like, you can have a game, like, five points and then maybe someone just jumped in front of Alliance out of nowhere and then you lose out on, like, a tier three conflict by a couple of swords because they, you know, pulled a trade, he's flunked an intrigue out of his worm and won it. And it's like, well, what do you do? You can't really... You know, that's <laughs> that, great, that, great stuff like that. Right I, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I can... I, I can it does I can understand why some people perhaps aren't a big fan of that. I, so, I can get that. Yeah, exactly. Um but for me I like the the level threes. I've come to understand the, their importance and you kind of plan around that. A lot of people online have also sent, mentioned this, not a lot, but I've mentioned a couple of BGG threads. There's one in particular I mentioned like it feels like you just have to plan for the level threes or you're out yeah. of the game. And I think that that's not um an awful thing in a lot of ways it is an end game situation the game kind of ends either round seven or round eight something like that so you feel like there is an urgency to kind of like ramp up for those i personally wish that games went like not default seven rounds but default eight rounds because eight rounds feels like they all every game that goes past seven rounds for me feels so much more fun because that I that, do that initial I do tension, agree. yeah, you're like, oh my gosh, somebody could win this round, and then it goes on, and you're like, oh my gosh, who's gonna win? That that that's great. That's why doing Imperium is so fun, is because that that yeah. uncertainty. You're like, I don't know who's gonna win now. I don't know what's gonna happen. Like those are really fun moments. Yeah, and it feels um, like everyone in a ra- eight round games kind of had a bite of the cherry sort of thing. Um, exactly. Yeah, if exactly. an uprising, I feel like if it ends in seven rounds, it's usually a pretty crushing comprehensive victory where like halfway into the round it's pretty clear who's already won the match um and that's not too great and that's something i have noticed in some of my games like yeah there's definitely some that are close um but there's been quite a few where like you're halfway into round seven and like the person's already got a bucket of troops and they've got their worms and and there's no realistic way of anyone stopping them and you're kind of just playing it out um yeah that 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 does happen from time to time um and that's and the thing is well there's not a ton of intrigues in the deck which actually give you a ton of combat strength um there are some that are good and some that are very very strong but quite a few of them have additional requirements to get those extra strengths you know like either lifting spies having influence or you know uh paying like free spies to spice that sort of thing they do exist but it it feels to me a bit more combat is a little bit more towards actual physical weight of troops in the conflict 
than like intrigues. There's exceptions, uh, of course. Like if we if, when we ever get it up, like the um the the game like, we we played with Paul Denham, for example, you know, and I won it because they had like five battle intrigues. You know, stuff like that does happen. Obviously, it's pretty pretty absurd stuff, but um i do find there are some games where like halfway into like round seven you know it's over because someone's gotten a high line and they've got a spire hacker basin and they've just absolutely just thrown everything in and they're going to score five points and like you get kind of stuck playing for second and that does happen you know it's not yeah. to criticize the player you know sometimes so, well, i mean to be fair like we talked about it in north carolina jimmy donaldson mr beast that was basically how he played his tournament. He just played for round sevens to win round sevens, get tons of points and win games. And, you know, it worked. So It's a I'm really good strategy. This. Yeah, you know, and it, that's, it that's how him. the game works now. Work, you know, yeah. and that's just something we have to adjust to as as a lot of us playing a lot of XMO. We're just not used to this. Um, and that's right, part right. of the adjustment program um, for sure. But um, so, there, there's bringing up, I was going to say, go on. There was more than one about worms, but go on. Yeah, and I, I I got a little distracted while I was talking, but um, the, so, okay, we'll come back to the intrigues in a second. I have a couple of things to say about that, but. Yeah, yeah, um, we'll get to that. So, so the, the conflict twos, specifically the ones that give water, I find mm. problematic in this game. I, um, I do. I, I think I have to agree, especially when I, people start chucking worms at them, like the, yes. uh, the trade dispute, for example that is uh and to be fair i think personally speaking i think kind of all of the desert mouses ones in the conflict too because they all give water or an absolute crazy amount of resources and if you have a worm on basically any of those like that is absolutely enormous i i do agree yeah. i have an issue with yeah them. i have an issue with these because it's a it's a situation where the rich get richer in mm. this game specifically if you are position two or position three who get worms early round two round three you are able to fight for those uh, those conflicts that have water second place. Like, second place water. All you have to do, and maybe even better, they gave you better second place rewards, which I think was... I don't know. I, I, it kind of bothers me because there are... Like, you really should be fighting for first place, not second place. Yeah. Um, yeah but fighting I mean, for second it's... place... It's it's like I'm fighting for second place, which is a better reward than you're getting, because I have worms in the conflict. I'm getting double, like two water, like four troops or whatever it is, like two troops. Like that is backbreaking because not only does extra water fund more worms, but therefore it fund funds more either second or first places down the road. It sets you up for a level three. Like so, I don't really know how I feel about the worms in general. Like sometimes they're fine. Especially when I think that it's fine when there are more of the level twos that have the shield wall. Um, I really like the shield wall as a concept. I like it thematically. I think it makes a lot of sense and works really well in this game. You have to go to Siege Tabor and take basically just a single water and blow up the shield wall instead of getting a troop, a water, and your maker's hook. So the decision is interesting in theory. There are also a bunch of intrigue cards that do it there are two called detonation that just destroy the wall for no cost whatsoever there's yeah. one that costs two water and destroys the wall and gives you a worm and there are two more that just have you recall a spy to blow up the wall and give you two spice yeah so they're pretty, they're pretty, like, pretty juicy yeah i i find i find this tension interesting but i find that the intrigue cards undermine that a little bit uh in a way that i don't love 
Um, yeah, I, I, I do. I, I wanted to quickly backpedal just so you mentioned about the uh, about the, the the weighting of conflict rewards. Um, there's one I'm sure that's brought up by several people, and that's Trom security. As I give you, I'm sure more editing work to do on the inevitable video on this. Just explain uh, what it does. I don't want to put it up. No, I'm just kidding. Go, it, go, it's I'll fine. Yeah, so Trom security is one of the level two conflicts. Uh, first place is a spacing bump, uh, a contract, and a troop. But second place is a water, two Solari, and two troops. And you do, I've definitely seen a few situations where people will put in a worm and like a couple of troops or something because they simply don't care which reward they get. Um, because the top reward perhaps is a bit more situational. Like obviously getting those spacing bumps is good. Um, but like the contracts, you know, it might be anything particularly out there. And if you're going for every heavy combat strat, two water and four troops seems a lot more appetizing to then go for future fights. And so I do find situations where that it's, it's weird. The, the, the idea. So the, the question is, are some tier two uh, second rewards better than first place? Um, yes, they are. 100%. I think, I think it depends slightly on how you evaluate. Like there are some where just in physical tangible rewards, they're technically better. Uh, the, some, the, the, the Ornithopter skirmish is an intriguing one. Sorry to intriguing two. Uh, trade dispute for example going back to it uh it's a question of do you want the contract or do you want the spice if you're worming maybe the spice is better for you that will pay for like going to espionage or making up for the fact that obviously if you're going worms you're not getting hold of the loose spice because you're obviously doing that sort of thing it's it's an interesting byplay um but it yeah charm security is one where i do find someone will just literally just not will go into worms because they just don't care at what they get because they're all really strong for them um and that can be a problem the, the other thing i want to get into before we get into the, the intrigues though it does get into the sexual discussion which we also need to talk about um is because worms are really good it does have a very dramatic effect of warping how the beginning of the game goes and we are and and the, the prevalent thing that people are doing to start off with this may or may not persist is that everyone feels obligated to just bum rush the fremen at any physical label spot because they feel they've got to get hooks so they can get worms and they can double combat awards. Um, it reminds me a little bit of back in the Rise of X days where everyone just absolutely bum rushes the spacing guild immediately because shipping is so strong. Um, and that gives me slight nightmares because I didn't really enjoy those days. It's one of the things I liked about Immortality is it felt like it gave if you either couldn't get there because you didn't draw the access, or if you were like fourth player, fourth player in Rise of Vix was not a fun place to be because you were never getting to shipping first. You know, you might get like a round or two of it maybe, and then it goes past you, and then you probably don't see it for the rest of the game unless you've got infiltration. So that was a bad place to be. And it feels a little bit like that again. Well, where, sort like, of, sort of. I mean, it's, I... a little bit. It's, it's different because obviously Death Tactic, you know, there's two different Fremen spots now. So in theory, it's easier to get to. But I do feel like there is almost like um, an obligation to get hooks immediately. So you just spam worms on every single conflict that you physically can. And I don't know how much I like that. So I 100% agree that there is a spamming going on of worms. Uh, that is annoying. It's very annoying. Especially since one of the leaders gets reward for it, rewarded for it, um, and the other leader that I'm done talking about, Gurney and, and Paul Moadib, are the two combat leaders. And if they're in second or third position, you should just basically resign from going to conflict and getting first place for a while because yeah. you're not going to get anything. Or if you can yeah. somehow snake a point out of something here or there, get you yeah. know 
be if, very if you, lucky. Yeah, because um, it's is, very is that, hard. Yeah, the problem is is that you can win them, but the issue is it's going to be very expensive for you. And of course, the problem is, um, and what's happening is because worms double any reward. If it was just worms double the reward if you win, this would be a completely different conversation. But that's not where we're at here. It doubles anything. So again, like say protect the sieges, for example. Um, if you win that conflict with like a Highliner trip, great, all right, you you get the Fremen bump, the war and the troop. That's that's all well and good. But second place, the worms getting six spice and two troops. Yeah, that's a problem. And that I, and that I and, and this is the problem. You have spent a lot of resources to deny them winning because winning them winning that conflict, for example, is crazy. They're getting two water. They're getting the Fremen Alliance a lot of the time. But though they're getting they're, they're getting two bumps. They're getting free water. They're getting troops. All right, you've won the conflict. That's decent for you. But they're still getting an absolute bucket ton of resources. And so even though you've spent a lot of effort and uh, in time denying them that. They kind of don't care a lot of the time. Because, like, okay, I've got six spice. I'm just going to go Highlander. I'm just going to keep throwing worms in. And I'm just still going to keep barreling along. Um, and unless, like, you get a load of uh, shield wall conflicts coming up, which kind of hinder that, which sometimes you do, sometimes you don't. Sometimes you don't see a single shield wall. I've, you know, shield wall conflict until round eight. I've seen that. You know, where it was uh, the skirmish, none of them are shield walled. There are six out of nine conflicts in the, the Conflict 2s are not protected by shield wall. So you could definitely draw five of those. And then you pull uh, propaganda first up uh, for the Conflict 3s. That's seven rounds of like Paul and Gurney just bombing in worms any opportunity they can and no way to really stop them getting involved, constantly doubling resources. It, this is this is obviously a, an extreme situation, but it kind of gives an idea of how this thing can really snowball a lot. So, yeah. Um, I, and, I and this does go into the shield wall conversation, which we do need to talk about. Yeah, so uh, just just as a caveat, um, I know we've been talking a lot about, like, my some of my, especially my things that I'm not super enthused about. Um, I still love the game. Like, the, you, you have to think of it this as, I'm not putting the game down. Like, <laughs> I love this us. game, and I love the overall package and everything and i accept that things are going to be wonky so when i come at this from a perspective of criticism it's not from a you know i dislike it it's from a perspective of i love this game enough to make these criticisms and think about how we can either strategize around these problems or you know maybe create some conversation for the expansions or things like that or things we'd like to see so that's that's where i'm coming from i just want to point this out i'm like i'm not sure it's like dumping on this game or anything like that and you can probably thinking about wow they've been going on for like 30 minutes about how conflicts are so awful it's like no they're not they're not all awful they're very interesting um i they kind bring of attribute a lot of them... conversations and it, it, yeah. it, this is the biggest part of this game without question so it, it wants a lot of diving into um you know like combats have always been big in doing imperium but now these are like the game makers and game breakers of the game like you can yeah, have a 100%. decent faction game you can buy spices flows but if you're not winning some of these conflicts it's very very difficult to win now um yeah and that's i'd say you have to win one big conflict yeah yeah i mean if yeah, you win you one big conflict you probably win the game if you've done your work elsewhere probably yeah definitely but i've seen games end round six i've seen games end without the level threes i've seen games uh, go till nine or ten rounds and yeah. because of wacky stuff like people tying in round seven 
or you know and then they're exhausted for round eight you know like things like that happen or it's really people cool were gearing up for tons of worm combat and then the yeah. shield walls came up and then they so shield wall is something that we do need to talk about as well i sure. assume that's where you were going next yeah i, I was going to get to the, the shield wall um i i, I will say what one final cap in the the re resources being doubled thing i am a little disappointed a little bit that water is rewarded in level twos um and either or that worms don't just double the uh the winners like if you were just the winner and you won with worms i would say that that'd be fine because if and then you could have water in second place second position i'd be fine or whatever second place giving one water back for your investment of one or two or, or three water i'd say that'd be fine you committed you didn't get there that's like throwing your you know all in into the pot of the poker pot and saying i hope i get it like i get something back that's fine but what it frequently feels like, and and this is what I I, I in, encourage, um, and I hope that Direwolf Digital consider this uh, when they're doing any sort of you know up, um, updates to to the next expansion or whatever. Um, what it feels like as a player is that worm players can throw in their any amount, usually their entire amount, and just say like it's all in, but I don't have to win. No, I, I'm going to win either way, and there, that there doesn't no, feel good. There's no tactical choice. Like there's uh, no tactical choice. More, that's right. Yeah, we're not going to talk about Moadi because he is like, absolutely focused on that, and that's fine. But like, if you're like either not even a gurney, like if you've just got worms anyways, you know, you're playing as like you know uh, Fade Ralph or or it doesn't really matter who you're playing as. If you can go to Hagger Basin and you have the opportunity to throw in a worm for the conflict, but there's no bonus spice. What reasons are there to not throw a worm in? What situation has got to be right. on the board for you to not want exactly. to throw a worm in? And, and other than like maybe test the loyalty because you don't think you need the, really the money, although the money always has uses because you can go back to high council. Like there's never really a tactical consideration of like hmm, maybe I should take the spice this time. You just always chuck in the worm because you're like, well, I'm chucking the worm. I'm quote giving up two spice. But I'm making more than that from the conflict, and I'm denying people that anyway. So there's there's never any kind of there's no thought to it. Like you're you're never like there never feels a reason to not take the spice unless maybe you've got like yes. a, a specific intrigue yes. that so needs that's, it. That's Other the main than thing. that, yeah, that's basically it. Or maybe like you feel absolutely desperate to get to like shipping or something like that. But but yeah, you never see like Gurney Hallett go to Hagger Basin when there's a person's spice and say, oh, I'm gonna take the two spice. They just actually that's that's not true. I do see that happen. I mean, I, I, yeah, I, mean I think overall, that choice is it, interesting. It does, it does happen on occasion, but I don't think it happens anywhere near as much as perhaps it could do. Like it maybe okay. is, from my experience, like ten percent of the time, maybe. Yeah, 50. That, that's fair. It's almost it's it's almost always I'm going there and I'm just chucking a worm in. It almost doesn't matter what the conflict is. I can chuck a worm in and I'm going to do it because I'm just going to get so much out of this fight wherever the heck I finish up. So, uh, yeah, that that's a good point. I think that most of the time, and I think that's where the meta is right now, is like chuck a worm in. I do think that there is a lot of merit to players blocking Haga Basin, putting a spy there blocking Haga Basin uh, just for spice because spice is really, really hard to come by. So hmm. it makes a lot of sense to me that they added a bunch of spice to the conflicts and you can double them because otherwise, how are you going to get your spice? Uh, it is very challenging. But when I think your investment yields more than double what you're what you put into it, or sorry, your 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 reward is more than double what you put into it, 
um, in a way that also is kind of snowball-y. That, that's where I, I say there's something wrong with these conflicts uh, that give water. I think if it just gave you spice, then it's like you're paying water to turn it into spice. That's fine. Or troops. Yeah. That makes sense to me. But if you're paying water to get more water back, then it's like, I'm going to put in this pot. I'm not going to win, but I'm going to double it anyway. It's like, yeah. what? And, and that doesn't make any sense. Well. It's water yeah. on every single one. Like, that's it's it, that's crazy in a way. So like, that, every single yeah. thing gives water. And Protect the Sieges is the one I always throw out. Like, Protect the Sieges is, is too strong. Um, you know, like, second place, like, if you get a worm in, like, say if this is, like, the third round and you get a worm in, like and you get second that's that's third round you're getting six spice and two troops on a game where you're right it isn't easy to come across spice sometimes because obviously the spaces the space is getting hit people worming and then the battle dudes being given six spice like it's absolutely like crazy yeah. when that comes yeah. up early and if someone gets that worm like any reward for there is so transformative so that 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 is that is a problem i i My, percent sieges is 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 a bit much yes i agree that is one of the problem ones it's it's especially problematic in a conflict when the first place the winner of the first place conflict or of first place in the conflict uh feels bad about winning because the second place is better like yeah the, like that if you're just throwing in troops you're throwing in troops to win this conflict obviously this requires a little bit of reprogramming of your mindset from base game to imperium mm -hmm. but if you're throwing in con you know you you highline let's say you win the conflict someone just throws a worm in a couple troops and gets second place gets t tons of stuff and you're like okay i got a bump i can pay three for a point and then i get an icon that may or may not match like i feel like i if i was looking at this as a transactional experience i'd say like that player fairly paid what they paid five spice to, and and five troops or even more to get maybe two points maybe three if that bump also contributed to a point so that feels fair and maybe they played some combat cards but for someone to spend one water and two troops let's just say for seven mm -hmm. seven strength this happens frequently to get second yeah. place because everyone else is exhausted usually or they just go like yeah. i have to do these other things that's one water, two troops for, I don't know what, how uh, like four troops and two water. I, I can't remember what that one is. Yeah, but yeah. Chrome security is. I mean, the, the specific one you're thinking about, like, uh, for that is a uh, spice phrase. So second place is a water, a spice, and a troop. So that's two water, two spice, two troops. So that, you know, which yeah. is. That math doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, it doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't feel like the investment of worms uh, is, is fairly paying off. It feels like it's unfairly paying off in a way that doesn't make sense for what the conflicts should be doing they should be pushing you to win the conflict but it doesn't do that most of the time so, so just <sighs> just just to throw it out here just as a little bit of airballing here so if we were to like if we were paul denon we wish but if we were like his you know we had the opportunity to like re would we say maybe worms only double the winning conflict if you don't win yeah. it you just get whatever's there do you think well, that's, that's what the i thought that they, they did <laughs> I, when i when yeah. i first opened the the when i first uh, was reading about it i'm like oh worms double conflict i initially thought logically i was like oh well they must double the winner why would they double second place or third place no it doesn't work that way so i was like i would have just had it double the the first place only and leave it so if you you shoot the moon with worms and miss you're getting stuff back but you missed like your investment should not be 
better than the investment of the first place person. I I feel like maybe the, the rewards uh, are, maybe are those, imbalanced. I would suggest maybe when those uprising camis get started, maybe that's something for us to try. Oh, maybe it, we it, should it's, like it's do in the brew, some yeah. games where worms only double winning conflicts and everything else, and just see where the where the ground lies. I'm I feel like I'm sure. I'm sure I would bet a mortgage on it. I'm sure that they tried this, and I'm sure that uh, Direwolf must have tried out like only doubling the top reward, doubling all of them. Um, I I can't imagine that they didn't think to do that. So it's interesting that they decided to just do all of them. Maybe maybe they felt that only that the response was um, from players that when they tried doing only the top one, that it felt really punishing because if a leader like, you know, like Mwadi, whatever else, like goes in heavy and then gets pit by an intrigue and they're kind of dead in the water a little bit, maybe they that's the response they got. I don't know. Um, I can't speak for him, but maybe that's something that we might learn in the future, maybe as a response or maybe, you know, one day like he talks to us, which he probably won't do after this. Uh, <laughs> no, it's not true. Uh, um, but but you know what I mean. It, it's inter- I think it's something we should try. I'd be interested to see what people's responses are. But but the problem is is that this is how it is, and this is just what we gotta adjust. To yeah, yeah. So anyway, let's move on. Uh, so shield wall. Shield wall. <laughs> I like the shield wall. I think the shield wall is cool. Um, I think it's one of the more interesting aspects of the game. It does sometimes feel superfluous some games, and it sometimes feels like the most significant thing in the game which i love i think that that tension is cool like i played i played games where nobody blew up the shield wall we get into level threes and they're behind the shield wall and like people limp are limping in they're like they're, they don't really know how to win the game <laughs> because it's like well i guess i can pay six spice and get a point and maybe this matches me uh or i can just uh do something else and it's a really interesting dynamic um in my experiences though that usually doesn't happen that's like maybe one out of 30 games i think i played where it went to round three or sorry level threes and there was no shield wall or there was a shield wall most yeah, of the time I, yeah. and it behooves the worm player to blow up the shield wall it does not behoove anyone else to blow up the shield wall unless you have worms or are going to get them so um there is an interesting aspect to this game there's a little bit of a push your luck who's going to do it first i guess it's like a staring contest not a push your luck but um yeah. there's bit, bit then there's the intrigues yeah so then there's the there's the brinkmanship, brinkmanship. There, then there's the intrigues yeah um there's five intrigues that blow up the wall which in my view is too many um yeah, I, I think it's I, too I, easy yeah i think it's yeah, too easy i, I kind of agree i i have a lot to say about this so um first of all thematics and this is something that um i do compliment this game overall um i always think that these dune imperium games the first one and this one as well i think have been really cool the thematics it's cool in that you don't need to know dune the dune universe to play these games but if you do know the dune universe there's an extra level of appreciation for the stuff going on you know when i started playing dune imperium all I knew is that Dave Bautista was in it. And I was like, oh, yeah, look, that looks like him. That's kind of cool. Now we've got Christopher Walken, who looks absolutely badass as the Emperor. You know, that's super awesome. And thematics definitely ties into some of the game mechanics in the game. The Shield Wall was definitely one of them. If you're not familiar with the Dune universe, um, Shield Wall makes a lot more sense if, obviously, you are familiar and, like, kind of why it exists. And the idea is, obviously, to, like, protect the kind of more 
habitable areas of the planet from the very harsh conditions outside. And that is implemented into the game with the shield wall that stops worms being used for certain conflicts that involve the flag control um, spots of the game, unless someone detonates it. I like the idea that you're kind of tying in theme and game design into one, and it makes sense. I think that's really commendable. I think it's a very cool way of doing it. Of course, there's a butt coming, and there is a butt coming. As I mentioned earlier, there does feel like a very heavy obligation for people to get stuck in with worms. Um, some games, it kind of gets fairly balanced out, and some games, that doesn't happen. Someone gets the worms super early, and then for whatever reason, people are like, struggling with faction access. It doesn't appear on the row, and they need to like go to you know Bene Gesserit because they're card drawing, or they need to go deliver supplies to get to research, or whatever the heck else. You know, there's all sorts of things. You are correct, however. Um, out of, I don't know how many games I've played, uh, I'd say probably about like 30, 35, 40 games or such. So few games has the wall existed for any, like getting into the conflict freeze, they're almost always gone. And if they're not gone, they're going to go because of intrigues. And and I do agree. The, the problem you've got, uh, it's both good and bad for me, uh, Siege Tabor. Um, I, I like, first of all, I like the idea of using Siege to do it. I think it's, it's cool, definitely. But the problem is, is that because worms are so strong, they give you so many awards, if you're not getting involved with them, then obviously that's a problem. And the other issue is, is that, yeah, like, if you, you don't get situations where, say, for example, someone can go to Siege Tabor um, because they've got worms, but then decides to go to Sitch Table to not blow up the wall. Um, and there isn't really a situation very often where people will go to Sitch to try and stop the wall being blown up because it's very strong for their opponents. Because it feels kind of pointless because of the fact that there are so many intrigues in the game that just blow up the wall and require very little cost, if really any cost. In fact, two of them have no cost requirements whatsoever. Um, and even like lifting a Four spy. Well, four, I, four, well, I don't two, think two, I don't think a spy is really a cost. I, I would say like it's so it is, easy to get spies. Yeah. Yes, it, it's 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 two. It's more realistically four. Unexpected allies is the separate one in which obviously two water is significant, but it's significant because the fact that it's the one card where you don't actually need hooks to summon a worm in. Um, and unexpected allies can just win games. Like, flat out, yep. I've yep. seen it before. Like, unexpected allies just win someone a game, like in a round six or something, because it's a big conflict for them. They went highlining, and they're like, oh, I've got the two water. Here's a worm. I win the game. That, that's a separate conversation. That, that is what it is. So I think there's very po there's positives and, and negatives to the shield wall. I think it's interesting that it's kind of um least these very interesting situations of brink which i was mentioned about where like say if it's round seven for example and no the shield wall is still in existence and it's like say imperial basin or whatever else and obviously you've got two or three players that all have interest in taking out the wall well you've got the problem that no one wants to go to each table because of course they'll blow up the wall and then the other two paper hit all, people hit all the, the, the worm spots, and then it's not actually helping them. They're only benefiting their position. I like that. I think it's a really cool kind of impasse that players get into. Obviously, if someone takes out the wall like round five, this isn't even a problem. It's just, it's just a, a bum rush. But I do think those situations are interesting to kind of witness. And sometimes they're interesting to witness if you're the person who has no combat intention whatsoever and kind of seeing where that goes. It's good 
if it mattered a lot of the time who goes to each table first. Because the problem is, because there's so many intrigues, that, there's several intrigues that mean that someone can just, like, uh, just, like, basically wait out and say the last round, oh, I blow up the wall, uh, I go to deep desert, I chuck in all the worms, and I win the game. That can yeah. feel kind of bad. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and especially if the wall is up, say, round seven, and if only one person has an intrigue to detonate the wall and no one else does, like, it kind of feels a formality. And I have seen a lot of games, and I've played a lot of games, um, where uh, even the, the game that Orski put up, which I was involved in, um, where I knew he had it, and it's like, well, the game's just over, because like we can't go to Siege Tabor to stop him from detonating the wall, and we can't really go to these mining spots to stop him putting in worms, because it doesn't matter. He just... He just detonates the wall, and that's it. He, we, we, there's, there's no kind of. There aren't games like how many games have you played where the wall existed the whole game? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Have you played it? It's not very. Have many. you played yeah, any? I, have. I played. I played two games where the wall was up the entire game. Out of fifty odd. Out of fifty ish. More than fifty. You know, and that that's and, and the thing is, I don't even think that's that unusual. Now you could your march is going to vary whether you think that's a good thing or a bad thing or not. You know, and the shield wall is there to be destroyed ultimately like in, in the end you could argue well the alternative is to just not play with a shield wall and obviously you know like the shield wall is that is kind of like it feels like a kind of safety net but the problem is because the shield wall is so easy to take out and so often is taken out that you kind of have the issue that like if you're trying to play a game for example imperium and for whatever reason you haven't or not been able to get hook, hold of hooks very much, and you're hoping the wall is going to stay up to keep you competitive. Like again, like you can't even like go siege and block the wall getting detonated because it's very likely that someone's sitting around with an intrigue to blow up the wall. And then yeah, what's the point you go yeah. and siege Tabor? Or if someone just parks a spy down there and blows up the wall, and then what do you do? And, and that that's my that is a thing that it's it's an adjustment for us. Yeah, I, I I wish that they were more difficult to blow up shield wall uh, intrigues. Like the one that re recalls a spy, it should say like recall a spy from the siege Tabor location to do that. Actually, it shouldn't shouldn't even be siege Tabor. It should be somewhere else, like Arakeen from a city location. Because like okay, so thematically, what you're doing is you're you you've set atomics and you're gonna blow a hole in the shield wall so that the storm and worms can come in that's what you're doing um and and that's what happens in the books but like the 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 thing here is you're just you're going to siege Tabor, which is not anywhere near <laughs> it's not anywhere near um the other locations where the shield wall is really and so shield wall is very large right it's 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 a big rock formation that covers a lot of space on on dune if you check out like the book maps and stuff it's really big and it's just meant to it what it does is it protects like imperial basin and i think even haga basin it's like all of those are within the shield wall in the books so it's a little bit thematically inappropriate that haga basin is outside the shield wall but it doesn't really matter for the purpose of this of this game and this discussion but anyway protecting the sh the, the cities makes sense thematically for the game and what's going on um but like from a gameplay perspective, the tension of going to Siege Tabor, let's just say, makes thematic sense, doesn't. But you go there and blow up the, the hole in the wall. That's great. That makes sense. Because the dance around who's going to do it is significant. If the worm player has to contribute or send an agent to do that, they have. then it makes sense that worms double things because you've 
spent so much time Oppor- doing it's this. opportunity cost yeah opportunity cost yeah. but when the opportunity cost is i just play this card detonation i dislike detonation like, yeah just dislike it, it, that card i i uh, it's it does two it's just two things first it blows up the wall if the wall's blown up it throws four troops in or you can just throw four troops in like very irritating to deal with because it's basically um you're, you're rarely going to have more than four troops in garrison i found you can have maybe six but r- rarely you're going to have more than four to throw in anyway because you're constantly having to go into conflict but blowing up the wall for free feels like no opportunity cost it's just free like come on yeah, like you just do it two spice know? maybe um, maybe a spice maybe something maybe, yeah, maybe money i don't know some some the, the, amount yeah of when it, it does feel like let's see, so as i mentioned like as i mentioned like kind of like when there is like you know you have this standoff between worm players of who's going to go to siege first that's really cool when that legitimately happens and no one has any of these intrigues and they kind of get stuck in this standoff here and there's like three of them it's like good the bad and the ugly sort of thing that's yeah. really cool yeah, and fun. i think that's a really fun moment of the game but the problem is is that it never really feels like the tension of who's gonna blink first in regards to who's gonna make that initial sacrifice and let all hell break loose it's more a question of who's gonna play their card first who's gonna because because it's so and and more importantly it's a question of it's more who has the card because it's very likely at least one of them has it and if only one of them has got it it is such a crushing advantage to know that you can just wait it out and you can just chuck in the worms whenever you feel like and like it's very difficult you can't it's very difficult for like a player to decide well i'm just gonna go to deep desert and spend my free water for four spice to block you on a card that you may or may not have like it's just it's you can't really feasibly do that a lot of the time um and of course the problem is well let's say the players decide to do that for deep desert and hagger basin well, if the game goes another round, you've got the same situation, except now they've spent all their resources. And so now when this person does play their card and gets their worms in, there's now no opposition and they're just going to absolutely steamroll the next combat. So there, there's like kind of like when the tension is there, it's cool, but it feels a bit kind of fabricated, I think, at times. Yeah, yeah, um, I agree. I agree. And that that is a, a, a slight issue uh, that yeah. I do have. And again, I think the issue is that like when it's so easy to blow up the wall a lot of the time, and when uh, combat rewards are doubled regardless of which one you take with worms, like it, everything to this to me in this game feels like it's just telling you go worms immediately and work the rest out from there. Yeah, um, is I, that I will maybe, agree with that too. Is that maybe a slight player skill thing because we're still getting used to the game? Perhaps. Is that just something we've got to accept as a different kind of flavor of game and that it's much more about decisive combat and, and winning those? Maybe so. But is that something that you're going to actually prefer to base Dune Imperium? That's, I think, a more complicated, a much more complicated question to answer. Yeah. So, yeah, I agree. So, uh, generally, and I think this is a good way to dovetail into the discussion of the intrigue deck because the intrigue deck is yes. very different. Um, but yeah, I'll just say that uh, I think Unexpected Allies as a card, even though it's very strong, I think it's costed fine. I think two water to do that is fine. I I, I, yeah. I like cards that have costs. I always will. Like I like that most things in this game have costs that make sense. Um, I think that there are a couple like Detonation. I know that these cards need to exist in some form, but I don't like free things. Um, I know like people like free things in games, but this is a game where your resource accumulation 
uh, needs to be turned into points in some way. You're either doing it through conflict, you're doing it by uh, getting more resources to do other things like go up tracks or whatever. But if you're if you're doing these things for free that are benefiting you, um, there needs to be some kind of counterplay to those things. But there isn't to stuff like detonation. It's yeah, detonation it's a frustrating it just happens, card. and that's yeah. it. The wheels the wall's gone. It's done. And there's there's no way. What would be interesting is if maybe there was a way of like stopping the wall blowing up. I don't know quite how you would maybe make that work. Maybe like have an intrigue or two dot around, or maybe like some some kind of some way to like have someone have a way to like if someone like plays a detonation icon that they have a way of stopping it. Because if it's someone that really doesn't want worms getting involved, because it feels so inevitable the wall's going to get destroyed, maybe you try and find some way to allow someone to do something to stop it being blown up. And so like it takes a lot more effort for them to just because again, yeah, just detonations, blow the wall, send worms mm -hmm. in, and just get tons of resources. There's no way to prevent that. You can't stop them playing the entry. You can't stop them destroying the wall. So maybe that's something that could be explored in the future. Well, I kind of, I kind of wish, and I don't know if this was uh, tried or not, but I kind of wish that they were tied to conflict cards and not plot cards. Because if they were tied to conflict cards, you like play three uh, swords and then the wall blows up. You're like, next conflict will be open. You know, it's like you can kind of plan for it in that way something but interesting uh, idea yeah I, I don't hate that. i don't think i would have like a conflict card that lets you summon a worm and destroy no sort of thing. like, like no, unexpected no, no, no. allies for example as a conflict card seems completely insane but it's an it, interesting way of maybe like tying them into that yeah i, I but, I but something that. that like it's a it's a side effect of you play three swords and then the wall blows up you're like okay yeah. if players had some sort of way to see it coming that that's the those are the parts of the game that I find the most compelling is when we can see things coming and try to figure out a way to prevent it or to prepare for it. Yeah, you just um, want a, a chance to do be able to do something about it rather than oh it just happened and it's completely out of my control. Yeah, uh, yeah. That never feels great. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I that's let's, let's talk about the intrigue deck. I, I'm I'm yes. tired of talking about conflicts. No, I think yeah, it's great. We, I, we needed to talk about <laughs> a massive part of this game and needed a yeah, big it is, in, but it I is. do agree. And and just as a you know we I, I love I love the way this game puts all that together. Uh, I just have some of these like little things I wish weren't the way they are, but you know it is the way it is, and I will deal with it. That's me issue. Um, but anyway, okay, let's talk about the intrigue deck. So we have a forty-four card intrigue deck. Uh, it's brand new. Uh, nothing is the same as before, but you'll probably recognize some of the cards in in part or parcel. Uh, we have 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 conflict cards, uh, combat cards, excuse me. Four of those are, uh, including the Chome modules, of course, I'm, I'm including everything here. Yes. Um, four of those are modular in that they have two different effects. One, Some, some of them have plots and some of them have conflicts or combats. Uh, so uh, we have these 13 cards. That's, I think, lower than in the base game i don't i don't remember if that's true maybe i'm completely wrong it, here, but... it, it definitely at the very least feels like it because it should it be does. noted as well is that oh, while there are all those combat cards several of them don't actually give you combat strength several of them take that's away from true. combat strength 
or optionally give the chance. You know, reach agreement, go to ground. Uh, Spice's power optionally takes away troops, stuff like that. And, like, and impress as well is as much like getting hold of a card. Tactical option is retreat any number. So, like, while maybe numbers-wise it might be the same or about the same, in actual practicality, it's probably, like, actually maybe effectively 10 or 11 cards. And that's something that I mentioned earlier. Uh, the combat cards definitely feel to me like there's a lot less swords available. Um, so I feel like combat's a one a lot more about just sheer weight of volume you managed to chuck in. A lot. I, I like the... I want to say as a very positive thing, I think there are more viable ways to retreat your troops in this game, which I think are really cool. And I see them played a lot. So go to ground, which retreat one or two of your troops for a spy. I think that's a great card. I think it's really fun to play and you people can either see it coming or not but when you retreat and get a spy you're like oh i see what you're planning on doing now because the spy kind of gives you an indication of what the next round is going to look like so that's cool or you might just retreat some troops so that you can spring the trap or something like that so those are cool um i like tactical, tactical option, option is nasty, yeah. nasty it's nasty like retreating any number of your troops is insane and i love it i think this is a great card um i i wish there was a way you know just as a base option that you could retreat your your troops like you know how we we got the uh the atomics token i wish it was like a token that everyone had that once per game they can just retreat their troops so i what think you're that would saying be an interesting is, so i what love you're saying it. is everyone should just play as amber Mutelli. i I, okay. well, I love good. amber i love amber Mutelli. <laughs> we'll but talk like, about I, her obviously a little bit later on but yeah 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 but i think that the uh the interesting thing the dynamic of retreating um is really cool in this game and i i love it i love that addition i like that they leaned into that and made a, a little bit more of a, a payoff for those things so you know there's some cards that, that come up in the the imperium deck um specifically chani is so strong that lets you retreat troops and yeah Chani's your strength really cool, really cool really card um, anyway, and, and a couple intrigues. others we'll get to, but anyway, intrigues, intrigues, uh, contingency plan is an interesting combat plot card, uh, that is, has either gives you two Solari or three combat strength. Um, I like these modular cards in concept. Um, but what I find is that people are more likely to play the contingency plans for the money as opposed to especially the combat, early. Especially, especially early. And, and that means that you don't see them quite as much played for that which leads into these conflicts feeling less like bids like they used to feel like a bid when you're bidding troops and then you're upping the bid then you're upping the bid like that unless someone goes hardy warriors in which case i'm just winning this conflict thank you very much sure, but sure. i know what you mean well not always but yeah it's most of the time um but now it feels more like there just aren't enough low level uh conflict cards to do that with and because people are going to be choosing the more viable option early on most early conflicts just feel like i win you get second i get third there's no conflict cards played i win you get second it just feels like there's no conflict cards played and and so it feels a little bit less uh i don't know less dynamic and yeah and that's... You, do, you do yeah i mean people like knock it but like those tiebreakers or master tacticians and that sort of thing like you do see them every now and again it, you know, uh, even cards like uh, the Dreadnought one, push them back, stuff like that. You see, you used to see them get played quite a lot um, in like the opening, like two or three rounds, but you definitely don't see that very often uh, because if they're they're combat cards, they're usually pretty neat ones like Spring the Trap or Questionable Methods. Devour obviously is good, but you want to have Sandworms, so that tends to not get played. Back by Choem, you need two contracts. Uh, how you know, how quickly you're going to get those? That's mm -hmm, a problem. Mm -hmm. Weird in combat is an interesting one. It's free swords, which is good, 
But if you can get free persuasion with the Bene Gesserit, it's another plus two swords. But that, you know, whether yeah. you go to that effort or not. But yeah, it definitely is just like there's just less. Um, to me, there's just less swords. So it becomes a lot less more early game. On... Uh, less early, early game, game swords. I mean, you, there's lots of end game swords like Spring the Trap. You're saying like, you know, Spring the Trap or your spices power or your deck or whatever or weird in combat. All of these and even questionable methods. These things all lean into later gameplay cards. Game, yeah. yeah, which I don't know why that was chosen. I mean, it's an interesting idea. Um, even though the, the back by Chome, you have two or more contracts. That's not even a combat card until later. And then you're like, okay, so I, am I going to play weird in combat now for three? And sometimes it's just not a combat card because you just don't go contracts, you know? Um, so sometimes oh, for back by just... Chome. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. That mm -hmm. does sometimes happens. Like you just you just don't go contracts because there's nothing up there that really suits you. And you pull this card and it's like, uh, okay, uh, I'm kind of struggling for faction access. Um, what am I meant to do here? Yeah, I, I kind of like wish that. I kind of wish that backed by Chome or a card like it that just said if you had two or more co contracts for, um, or two like yeah, two, two or, four. or plus two. Yeah, something yeah. like that. Something yeah. like Devour. Devour is like I like the idea of Devour. It's two swords anyways. But if you've got a sandworm, it's a little bit extra strength, and it gives you the trash as well. It's kind of like almost like a really mini like Shai Halud in a way. Yeah, that one's all right. Um, yeah. You know, stuff like that. That's kind of cool because cool. it's like it's it's never leaving you in a position where like neither option is good. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, again, the bat by Choam is definitely a card that sometimes you draw it and you just can't do either of them. And it yeah. just gets stuck yeah. there. That that well, is that is no one. That's I kind of think it would be better if there were more backed by Chome cards, like things that that if you knew there were more cards in the in the intrigue deck that that revolved around contracts. Oh yeah. Then, then you'd then be you'd like, I gotta get contracts, and like I have an out, you know. But like yeah. the way when there's one in the deck, especially for con for conflicts, this yeah. feels like you either rando draw into it and it works for you or you're you're probably going to use it for the money and it's just it just doesn't it, i don't know it's a weird it's a weird but the problem card. is do you use it for the money like dropping a faction I, I, I is pretty is pretty that can be pretty bad in this game because faction access is hard to get you know it, so it is but you... i think for for solari early on if it means getting round two sword master i would oh yeah definitely uh, yeah the time. for the early game i do agree all right yeah fair enough yeah like, that's, I think it's a, that's a sacrifice people are willing to make and i do see that from time to time so, so like uh, just analyzing this intrigue deck um and i'm going to be putting up an image on the screen for everybody which you already probably can see of all of the conflict cards we're talking about right now so you know what exactly we're talking about um but uh, i think that's interesting some of these choices in design um questionable methods i think is a really cool card that one i like this design a lot it's like it's one sword or four more i, I like i like this this is really cool that's a hard decision to make do you go down with a faction to just win a combat because five swords is usually winning a conflict usually it's, it's basically it's blackmail but you have the choice of just taking one of those swords for free yeah which I is like an it. interesting little dynamic choice yeah i do agree um cards that i'm a little bit like i like find the weakness i think find the weakness is fine as well same kind of thing like i think these ones that have some costs associated with them but they're not um super you're super not they're strong. not and they're not obligatory like yeah just right. take two swords sometimes it's just better yeah, spice is power. Three spice for six swords. Like that seems pretty good until you look at Spring the Trap, which is yeah. two two spies for seven power. Spring like, the, I don't know spring where the they get these. Is, what is the is, equation? What is the equation for Spring the Trap having seven spices power? Three spice is so hard to get in this game. 
I mean, I think that values a spy at like nearly two spies, technically speaking. If you want to go down that route, it's 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 pretty. I mean, to be fair, that's so. It's not always easy to get those two spies. It's not. No, I'm I'm joking. It's kind of weird. So spring the trap is interesting because obviously that as a card is significantly better for some leaders than others because some leaders just have inherent spy generation. So it's interesting that, but it is also like seven swords. That is, you know, it's it's like the old allied armada, except you don't need an alliance. You just need two spies. So yep. Yep. it's it's very big. It's a huge card if you find that. Um, sometimes it's not always the easiest to get spies going because people just keep just spamming espionage any chance they get. And if you don't find cards that give you spies or you're not a leader that generates spies, that can get a bit stuck over the course of time. And that can make life a bit difficult. Um, but there are plenty enough cards out there from the Imperial. Like, if you get this early enough, like, even if you're not generating any spies, you can try to tweak your strategy. Yeah. Like, okay, well, maybe I should go espionage first next A couple round. times, yeah. Just, I... just, just to get that. Maybe I should pick up covert operation from the deck just so it gives you that passive spy generation so I can use this stuff like that, which I, I think is cool. And I it like that cool. that's a thing. Yeah, I, I mean, I like the idea of Spring the Trap. I just kind of... I, okay, there's good things and bad things. I really like the, the conflict cards overall, and I like the design of most of them. I think Spring the Trap is also really interesting because there's that one conflict that has you pull two spies to get another point. The you know, that's one tier three. Yeah, I like that one too. I, I like the, the ones that ha- force you into weird situations. Also, I like that that one can't be duplicated by Worm. <laughs> it's really annoying. Yes. That other ones can yes. be, but I really like that can't be. This one, um, I, I I like that you basically commit. Like, if you had that conflict and spring the trap in hand, it's a little awkward. Yeah. <laughs> Which I like, like that tension. Yeah, yeah I like it's that. Good, it's good. It is good. No, it's good. Um, I would say that uh, because of the strength of spies, and by the way, spies are very, very good in this game. You should yeah. always go for getting them. Um, if you don't, you're going to run into problems like people who do and just draw spring the trap. Or if you don't do it and you draw spring the trap, it's a blank. That feels a little bad. So just go for spies. Um, that said, I want to say spice's power uh, does not feel like that. It feels like I'm going to retreat my troops and get some spice. That's mostly what I see people doing with spice's power. Yeah, because spice free, is so free, hard to get. Yeah, the free spice for six. Like basically, if you're playing that, it's to win the game. It's It's got to win the game. Um, it's basically you're playing it to, to, to win the game uh, but yeah it's also insane like if you pull that in theory you could go to arakeen and generate free spice from there in theory and like it's and how does anyone prepare for you playing that uh it's kind of one of the things so negotiate withdrawal from base game is in I, I is interesting as a card because obviously you can retreat your troops you put in uh to get the influence bump but people know that it's in your deck. You can't hide. You it's can't say, oh, oh, negotiate with draw. I, I never got that. Uh, the green player went and bought Like They know you've yeah. got that card. So while it might be somewhat random when you've got that ability to do it, they know that you possess it. Obviously, this is an intrigue. Like, no one knows it's out there. Um, and so you could easily just go to, like, Arakeen or Research Station. Like, if someone, like, is considering... You could easily go, like, Research Station, for example, and barrel in a bucket of troops, force someone to commit tons of resources. You just go, oh, I just got Spice Wars Power. You know, yeah. and, and that, yeah, that, that can feel cool. It can feel weird, but if the other person's still winning and you're getting nothing, it's fine. But I, I'd say the, the, the weird thing about it is that uh, I this goes into that issue of there aren't that many conflict cards or it feels like there aren't because most of the time I'm seeing these played for the resource costs because resources are so tight. Valuable, um, yeah. And, and that's, that's what's kind of a little weird is like, I guess they've, they, they thought you can get a lot of spice all the time, but I'll tell you what, 
usually in I'd say maybe 50 to 60% of the games I play, this is just some like random number I'm generating. Um, one person gets seven spice round three or four. I think it's round from four. From Deep Desert. From Deep Desert. And the rest of the players have a lot of trouble getting spice for the rest of the game. Yeah. Maybe yeah. one person will hit a Paga Basin and you'll get some spice from... from uh, and especially once uh, in, the, the worm Europe. spam begins, because the spice just never builds up. The the only yeah. the only option alternately you have that is like when Staban if he can start spying up especially Hager Basin, uh, I've played a few Staban games. Uh, I know we're getting to leaders, but just make it like okay. you know, and you just you just spy up the um like deep desert and especially Hager Basin. Or I even had a game I was doing with Hager Basin and Imperial Basin because Lady Jessica was in it, and I was just generating like two spies passively basically every single round, and that's a way of getting around it. But outside of like specific situations, yeah, like. Someone gets a big, massive spice dump, like round three, maybe round four. But other than that, a lot of the spice is generating is typically coming from conflicts because the, it never really builds up very much. Um, or maybe late game, you have some people that will go like shipping and then high council revisiting and use that as some interesting passive spice generation. That can happen from time to time. Other than that, yo, you're basically looking at, at your deck. You're looking at like bonds with like Northern Watermaster um and stuff like that which again getting onto it but basically what i'm trying to say is i agree <laughs> that's the tldr yeah, i I, sure. I agree <laughs> yeah i anyway but i that's that's just talking about the the conflicts let's let's take a that's look at some of the yet. plot cards here the plot cards are also pretty interesting um i think they're pretty so good on the whole i think actually. they are pretty good yeah i, I, I actually say like strong. besides detonation which i have some issues with about, yeah. um i generally like what they've done with the intrigue deck i think it's really great um i like that the cards that give uh influence bumps cost something you know i mean even if you consider siege ritual which is a discard for a, either a fremen or it's Benny kind Buster of bump, free isn't it? it's, it's kind, kind of free yeah it's kind of free but and there's also a couple of cards in the game that interact with discard i think there's only two honestly but um weird sort of number uh, in a uh, 71 card deck isn't that right 71 card deck 72 um, 71 72 okay um yeah, so it's, it's it's a weird thing that usually doesn't come up, but you could definitely trigger that with uh, your spacing guild's favor for get two, two more spice. Not really sure the interaction of that and why Siege Ritual leads to spacing guild benefits, but whatever. Um, it's interesting. I like the idea. Uh, it, it definitely, if they're going to add more discard cards, then it makes a lot of sense. I, I think it's probably a slight carryover from like Rise of X Immortality where there was a lot of obviously with unload effects. And yeah, I yeah, think yeah. this is probably a slight reaction to that that maybe there was a lot of unloading going on at some point. So this was kind of like, okay, we probably need to scale that back just a little bit. And I suspect that's kind of where we've arrived at where we are. And maybe Fair, there could have been yeah. done with a slight more and we'll talk about the the deck and like spacing guild stuff in in a moment. But it does feel like you know, when you think there's a lot of cards that have unload effects in 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 that sort of game, it feels like this is an adjustment because of that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, anyway, Siege Ritual, kind of free. Imperium Politics uh, has a cost of one Solari to get either a Spacing Guild kind or a Kind of free. Kind of free. It's kind of free. These things are interesting. Um, I, I like... To, I like things about these. I, I like that they are two cards and not four in the deck, but I also kind of don't like that they're two cards and not four in the deck. In the base game, we had one for each faction, and they were free, right? Those were always a little bit frustrating when people drew them at the right time. But the thing about them was you drew one faction. You might not draw the faction you needed, so they could be blanks, which I think is fair if you draw a free influence. 
Um, but like here, they're condensed down into two, so you have options. The, I like there the almost options. always is some degree of utility. Yeah, there's I, always I, utility. Yeah, so I like that there's always utility. Um, I also kind of like am a little sad that there are only two, which means that we've got all these other effects crammed into the deck. Um, we have a lot of duplicate effects. Um, we and... we do obviously have like buy access, for example, which is you know basically pay for your own machinations and change allegiance and stuff like that. But there isn't a ton. No, I do agree. In fact, yeah. it, it feels like sometimes there's as many that let you drop bumps that as much as that give you bumps, which is kind of yeah. weird. It is weird. I mean, it's kind of cool. I like that. There's opportunism, which you go down to influence and pay to slay, nasty which is nasty card that really nasty card this is almost a free point i i would say that most of the time this is a free point it might cost you an action you have to go back to a, spi a space to get your friendship or something again but opportunism yeah, is spaces, nasty yeah. yeah it's so good because it lets you go below the um the threshold for an alliance and then go back yeah. up and get the bonus again yeah, you, so or you can oof. proxy fight for an alliance for someone after defense like oh i just use opportunism same with yeah. shadow alliance same idea you have that, shadow that, alliance with it yeah that that can be kind of kind of frustrating yeah uh so that's an interesting thing that is costed strangely to me um but i think it's it's fine like i, I like these cards that are imbalanced in this way that that sometimes they're bad for you and sometimes they're just totally fine for you um yeah we had this buy access card which is five solari for choose two bumps um massive card like this this yeah, can be just enormous, a massive enormous. card it's, it's, you know you think in, in original in, in rise of vix there's a combat you have to fight for yeah. to get this reward and it's just a fight pay five solari you know five solari you know just go spice refinery you know that's your shipping turn shipping into free bumps merry christmas stuff like that it, it's very very stupid. it's that's very good card. It's also Especially weird. in a game where faction access is a much more of a premium again. Like, huge. Absolutely enormous. Yeah, it's also weird that buy access is in this game when um, propaganda, the conflict, is also in this game. Yeah, um, kind of agree. I, I just gotta say that that's that might be too many choose twos, like for for influence bumps. Like I plus you can double that one. So like it's weird. It's weird. There's a lot of bumps. I, I noticed there's probably more influence bumps overall in the intrigue deck than in the base game. Um, I mean, yeah, there's I, more I ways mean, to go. Yeah, big. Probably percentage wise, you might be right. I mean, the thing is, obviously, I mean, we're back down to a small. Like, we're used to having an intrigue deck that's like seventy cards, and now we're back down to forty four. So, yeah. like, if you've got, say, five cards here and then seven cards in one, it feels like there's more here because you just see them a lot more regularly. No, I guess I'm probably wrong here because in the base game, they had one of each faction. They had bribery. Bribery. Finesse. Oh, was there another one? No, finesse is not base game. Uh, that was really? Next. Yep. Wow. Yep, yep. Um, so, demand so respect, I guess. You could, demand you respect. Call yep. It that. yep. Demand respect. Uh, everyone's yeah. favorite. Um, so yeah, it feels like we have we I guess we have less influence bumps overall with higher costs, which I think is good. Uh, yeah. I like change allegiances. I think change allegiances is a phenomenal card, really cool design too, because you have a finesse card, but then it can also just be an extra bump for three spice, and I think that that which, is which, well cost. Which is expensive. You feel it? Three it spice for for a bump is very pricey. So it's it's yes. it's all about the opportunity cost. It's kind of like it's basically a convincing argument. Uh, or shifting allegiances, I should say, except it's in your hand and it costs an extra spice is kind of what it's trying to do. It's it's saying, all right, you can use this to steal this alliance, but it's going to cost you. But yeah. the advantage is you can do it whenever the hell you want. 
So yeah, I kind of like yeah. the idea of, and that definitely feels like that's definitely the case with some of these cards. It feels like they've taken Asian effects or effects from the previous game and then incorporated them into an actual plot effect. It manipulates the obvious example. That oh, is, sure. that is basically word for word Helena's reign. It's now yeah. just, a, it's now just an intrigue. You it's know, now just like a plot that. card, which is fine. I kind of think that's cool. Um, I there's a, a inspire awe as well. There's a couple of in, uh, of these that give you persuasion, but this one is acquire a card that costs three or less. Actually quite limited in Uprising because most of the cards that you would love to acquire are a little higher. Um, this one's fine. I think it's quite good. Um, but the the one thing I, I, I really miss that one card is two persuasion. I miss that card so much. Yeah, charisma. Like, you know, charisma. charisma. Just, I, I it's love just, that it's just nice. It's just nice and simple. You've got it, rock and roll. Very nice yeah. and easy. I do agree. One thing I will say, though, for the Intrigue deck as a whole. So let me let me ask you a question. Going back to, like, Ixum and that sort of thing. What would you say are some of the, quote, weakest Intrigue cards, unquote, um, from Iximo? Distraction. Uh, okay. Distraction's probably... Not distraction, I'm sorry. Uh, diversion, diversion, whatever. That's the same Secret meaning. Forces, essentially. That Secret sort forces, Secret forces, stuff uh, like that. Yeah, I think that I think those ones are kind of the weakest. Maybe they're very, the one they're very situational, right? Yeah, the ones that yeah, the ones that give you uh, troops or um, whatever for having the high council. Those ones that's generally right. weaker. I would say that in this game, there's one that's similar: counselors' ambition. That if you have a high high seat. Uh, high council seat excuse council. me you get two water which is a better reward oh yeah that is huge that's a uh, the, better reward the, the amount of times you see people like spring that to like get a surprise deep because i actually it's great. That's very very and and it's worth noting yeah it is the only entry card in the entire deck that gives you water the yes. only one so yes. it's something you've got to watch it if you're trying to have hostage great flats oh deep doesn't speak and someone makes like a weird high council move you gotta be careful. Keep an eye out for that because yep. that could be coming, and I've done that with people. That could be really, oh, really nasty. I but love the point, that. The, yeah, that's fun. But but the point I'm trying to make here is so when you think about like obviously in the the old deck and compare it to this one, what would you say is like the the, the weakest cards of Xmo feel a lot worse than say what might be regarded as some of the weaker cards in this? I think every single card in this deck has some decent use. I wouldn't say there's any that are like really bad. I Even would say leverage like, is very bad. Leverage um, is probably leverage the worst card. is the exception. I think that isn't great. Um, that is the one exception I will make. But outside of that, I think they all have got some interesting. You know, Shadam's favor for the troop or mm -hmm. free Solari for free Emperor influence. Um, if you draw that early, that could win you conflicts. You know, I've I've had that and be able to win like round two conflict just because I had Shadam's favor and everyone heavy in the first round because it was like the money fight. You know, like, okay, I'll just pick up that as an intrigue sort of thing. And that gets you through. That also pays for like uh, Imperial Fave, for example. Um, Call to Arms is an interesting one. You know that I think Call to Arms is really nice because it's it gives you an interesting reason to buy maybe a couple of cards from the Imperial Road that you might not otherwise because it lets you garrison them up for the future. Um, so that could be kind of cool stuff like that. I, I just don't I don't feel outside leverage outside. I don't feel like there's any entry cards that I would say are bad. There's some that maybe you can draw at the wrong time and doesn't really do a lot for you. Charm Profits can be one that can be a bit awkward because, mm -hmm. like, um, yeah, we'll get to the contracts later. Well, I do, I really think contracts are good, but that one can kind of like feel like, I feel like I've really got to get into that and it might not benefit me too much. And it can be sometimes people just going for that and they pick up, like, oh, okay, well, that's just like kind of a free point sort of thing sometimes. 
Um, yeah. But like, but it feels a lot less uneven. I'd go with the other stretch of it. You think to like where plans within plans, especially, and call the market got to in Xmo. There is nothing. I don't feel it's anything close to that in Uprising. There is one entry card that has been raised to me once or twice, and that is strategic stockpiling, which probably is worth noting. Uh, this sure, is the one yeah. that that lets you spend five spice for a point or free water for a point if you've got free friendly influence. This can be pretty game changing, yeah. but it does require a fair amount of uh, of setup, and it's also if you're spending five spice for a point. It's five spice. You're not spending on anything else. Um, so so yeah, while it's, it's while it's big, I don't think it's like, it's not like three points. It's still a fairly significant cost, and especially getting that free ward of the free influence. Like that could be really difficult to get hold of, if not sometimes feels almost impossible. Yeah, I I, I like that this card exists. I've come around on it. I initially really disliked it um, for the reason. I that... think a lot of people were a bit unsure about it. I I think the costs are fine um my issue with it had been pe previously that it's one card that gives you two points um a plot card yeah. that gives you potentially two points is like that's game winning um like it's yeah. the easiest single action uh two points you can and, have and it's not game. to say that it's not, not a game winner. this this card can be a game winner no question oh, yeah. about that. most of the time it's a game winner or it's sitting in your hand and you just can't do it um yeah. if there's not much I don't I don't think there's been a situation where I've seen someone play this card and then lose. Um I think if they get to play it, they usually win the game. I'd also or say that if one they've of, got it, they've they're already like way behind in the game and they haven't got much else to do. And they haven't got anything going the on. But they've got yeah. the spice. Oh, okay, well it's five spice for a point, make it a bit more respectable. Right, right. So I, I think that's it's a cool card. Um again with with uh we were talking about the worm issue earlier. Um, one of the this reasons is, I dislike yeah. the card is because most of the Feet conflicts you want to go into with worms are ones that give you spice or water. Yeah. And some of them uh, will give you two water, which you could double, which pays for one st strategic stockpiling. And of course, um, if you've got worms, you've already got two influence of the Fremen. Pretty easy to get that it's third easy one. And, to get that. and it feeds yeah. into, as you said, this rich get richer sort of mentality that can kind of creep in every now and again. And that's and I, yeah. And I've seen that happen where like somebody won a conflict, um, like or somebody played strategic stockpiling and then ended up ha winning the conflict with their worms anyway, doubling their rewards, and they just yeah. had like twelve points and, and everyone just, else is at like five. Yeah, and it's just yeah. like it's not even a contest. Feels so, bad. That doesn't yeah. Happen. So I'd say like, like, I like the idea and I think these are well-costed cards. Um, and again, this comes back to my sort of like reticence to fully endorse the combat worm situation, the doubling effect. Um, but uh, I'd say if we took that out, all of these things are perfectly fine. And I love the way that they're costed. Um, again, we've talked, talked about detonation and how I don't like that card just because yeah. I think it's free. I think free is too good, especially if it's something that's so game-changing. We, we um, should probably talk about the end games, actually. Let's talk uh, about the I, end games. I, I, think, I think there's a lot to talk about here, actually. There's yeah, these are of... really interesting end games. I like these. I like all of these end games. So, uh, so basically, you have Ornithopter, Desert Mouse, and Chris Knife, which pair with their respective colored uh, battle icons. Or and... propaganda, if you want it. Right, or propaganda, which is the question mark one. And as to know, we've, we haven't really mentioned this, but propaganda is a question mark conflict that cannot immediately pair 
with another conflict yeah. card or icon it has you have to wait till the end game so it can't trigger the end of the game which, which i think is I really interesting to start with i thought it was just I don't think anyone did. yeah and it's in the it's in the one, notes yeah it's in the it's, end it of the, is noted but it's book. not immediately clear i imagine most people first game they play it it's like oh i just pair it with my sword and that's a point no it's end game yeah that was yeah could have been better detail but never mind yeah yeah so anyway i like that i like those a lot i mean it's nice to have the effect that you can you can satisfy your your uh, flipped cards um that's cool loose, i don't have a problem with that spice is not the worst sometimes you know i mean it's better than better than kicking the teeth and you know obviously there are gonna be times where you're gonna get those symbols but you just don't have them and they don't turn up you know that loose spice that gets you espionage that pays for some shipping yep. you know that that enables you to do other card effects that sort of thing um so i think that's it's not it doesn't look like much but that can get you out of some pinches it absolutely could. And because um, spice, again, is hard to come by, you might find yourself with four spice, needing one more to go to highliner or just one spice for, as you mentioned, espionage. It's an espionage trip. Like those things are really cool. I like that. This cool, cool costs. Good good opportunity effect um, for, for these cards. Shadow Alliance. Uh, Here we go. I, I am obviously predisposed to like this, except it's actually <laughs> kicked my ass twice. It, so yeah, interesting card. I like the effect. I like that this effect is in the game. Um, it plays very well with opportunism um, to the point that it a little it can get a little annoying. Um, and if you've ever run into this situation, someone with opportunism and shadow alliance, that's two free points. Especially if you if you ran the 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 gauntlet and went all the way up the track, um, somebody get got right behind you. You can just like donate a point to them for two points it's like oof that's rough yeah it feels like shadow alliance as well as an interesting so this final up this came up uh, i mentioned about the one of the games that Wolski put up on his channel recently i was involved with um one of the really horrible things about shadow alliance is when you're pretty sure someone's got it and they're just like lingering around your alliance it's like well what do you do it feels like kind of a lose-lose situation so yeah, the Shadow Alliance is it's pretty neat. I like its idea, but yeah, in the game which also got loaded recently, uh, there was a situation where like yeah, it was me and him and uh, someone else, uh, and was making like a really big deal of like, oh, I could go free for life, so I'm sure to go for it. I'm sitting there thinking, well, he's almost certainly got Shadow Alliance or like opportunism or something, and that can feel kind of grubby a little bit because it's like, well you you kind of get stuck in a lose-lose situation where you feel like you have to defend your alliance but you're not gaining anything from doing it or you don't defend the alliance and you just lose the point either way um i guess that's kind of the way the card is designed a little bit but that can feel kind of nasty especially when you're pre-convinced someone's got it uh and especially if like you've gone in a game and you've cycled through a lot of intrigues uh it means the likelihood that this is this turning up is and you do notice it sometimes it gives i i like that it gives the opportunity for someone to like make i, I know it's kind of weird so shadow alliance has two features either it's it's a card that you can draw so it's like okay you lost the alliance someone stole it from you but you still get the point but the other side is it allows people yeah just to proxy fight you on an alliance and just put you in like a really horrible situation where you kind of like you're kind of stuck with knowing what really to do and both options feel kind of bad that's that's the only issue yeah, with shadow alliance yeah. i think um, it's a cool card though I, I think honestly like um i like these end games a lot more than the end games in base game or even x immortality i think there are just too many in x and immortality and some of them if you're playing both of them 
you know, Xander and Some of them had two cards not the aged same. well over the expansions. Hence, yeah, plans yeah. within plans, especially like that in in Xmo just feels like a lot of the time it's at least a three point. If yeah, not, but con if game, conversely, if, if the game I think goes it would be eight great rounds, here. it's like two points. Yeah, actually, I actually think that that and I did this in the latest Canley. I actually gave people options of end games, and they and one of them was plans within plans, and we only got the first point from it, one player. So like the it's I think it's uh it's a reasonable I think it's a reasonable end game honestly but it's just very hard in Ix and Immo to not get both points from it um yeah. you're just going up so many tracks and things are just skyrocketing but yeah again like Uprising is a slower game there are fewer access cards that uh, that you'll be picking up from the Imperium row there are fewer cards generally that give you uh faction act or not faction bumps you know there's only four here. Is so it, secure spice trade. Oh, sorry, go on with Shadow Alliance. Sorry, you're still going. Sorry. No, it's all right. I, I think I think Shadow Alliance is is a pretty cool card. I think it's fair, and I like the way it does. You know, if you have it and you're pushing a faction, and somebody's like defending, you're like, ha ha. <laughs> like I like that feeling of power. It's, it's in nice. This game. To, it's nice to be the person with the card. Yeah. But if you're the person that is on the other side of that, and you're very sure they've got that card, that's not. Great. I agree. And that that is there's a little I bit agree. icky. I was gonna say, so it's secure spice trade what corner market should always have been. Uh yeah, probably. <laughs> probably, yeah. Probably. Um it's interesting actually, because I, I I secure spice trade like is it's kind of it's it's kind of it's a different economy, I guess. It's not easy to get two spice plus flows in this game because a lot of your no. efforts I find get like sucked into combat, and so that can like make getting hold of multiple spice flow is sometimes pretty difficult i think i think it, de it depends on your draft what what uh what leaders you get like if you end up with irulan or like a paul or even sorry, Wadib, yeah even gurney you're you're fine um and if you get a couple of like two cost good or two persuasion good cards like from the imperium bro you're good um it does get a little bit tricky at times because there are a lot of cards there are, i think there are more cards in this game than before that have like no persuasion or lower persuasion most of these cards are going to be one persuasion unless you're just going for pre prepare the ways or something like that and i think that's reasonable like i think that the persuasion being lower is a cool thing um so yeah, I think it's a pretty well balanced. I think Secure Spice Trade is cool. Honestly, it's not as exciting as um, Corner of the Market. I think no. that, it, that Corner of the no. Market is like a, I can get a point, but if I do this other thing, you know, that those are always fun um, aspects of the game, and I, I definitely think that if Corner of the Market was in this game, it, it might be okay. Like I think Corner of the Market yeah. would be okay. Now it's interesting that we have these kind of like balanced versions of these cards from the base game. But I think if you just like imported those instead of these, I think it'd be okay. Because it is hard to get two spice must flows. Like in base game immortality or not base game Dune Imperium, it was hard to get two spice must flows. It you had to work for it. So I feel like that feels right. Um I don't mind this card so much. It's just not that exciting. Honestly, it's not that exciting. No, it, it um, is. But I guess the argument is that you know, when, you, when you sacrifice some of the potential power it had... And again, this is the problem. Like, this is why I'm trying to compare this to like base game because XMO is a different beast. Like XMO and Uprising are two very different branches of the same tree. 
Um, and so I think it's a little... It, that's going to be the natural comparison for a lot of people, like for us and people listening to this. I'm trying to avoid it where possible because I don't think it's the most accurate mm -hmm. uh, comparison, personally. I, I do agree. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think it's closer to, to base. So, like, in that case, I think that there's some really cool things that have been done in the Intrigue deck. Like, I like the plot cards a lot overall. Like, Distraction's really cool. Deploying three troops and getting a spy, and you can put it anywhere. Yeah. That's super sweet. Like, this is some a sweet them, card. Some of them, yeah, some of them are really cool. Some of it, Mercenaries is Mercenaries kind of is sweet. So yeah. Mercenaries is very strong, because you're also recycling the Intrigue as well, at the very least, which is very, yeah. very good. Stuff yeah. like that. But even some of the, the kind of slightly weird ones, again, cool ones I've mentioned. Inspire Raw can be pretty pretty juicy uh depart for arrakis is just a straightforward just pumping a load of dudes part for Arrakis is very strong i think for two yeah, spies agreed i mean that's very very strong um and then some other interesting kind of weird sort of cards cunning you know do you pay a spice to get the trash along with the card draw mm. sometimes maybe that's a bit expensive spice basically for a card for for trash is it's not cheap you know um and there's a few of them where like you can get some good rewards but it comes at a fair fair cost though as well yeah. Agreed. um but that's probably probably good but yeah leverage is like kind of meh but other than that i i i think they're all at least fine and i do find in this game like you know if you decide you want to just like start barreling secrets and assembly hall early like that can pay a lot of dividends later on um mm -hmm. and it doesn't feel as bad whereas like in some other games like it feels a much more of a crapshoot i feel like it's a more consistent sort of strength deck um obviously some are like way better than others some are situational but it never feels like going assembly hall like first round there's no intrigue that feels bad sort of thing yeah yeah i i will agree with that maybe maybe like the ones that require contracts to be really good uh feel but a little at least weird, if but... you're gonna get that get it immediately you know if you're gonna get chrome yeah. profits chrome profits is the only one i'm also unsure about because like four or more contracts is quite a that's quite a task. Like yeah, that is a is. that is a commit. And the thing is, you've also got to gain those contracts. So it's either hitting accept contract, dutiful service, which is not a popular space, um, you know, mm. or like you get something in in monks conflicts, which there are a couple, not many. There's a couple of conflicts that give those contracts, but then you've got to fulfill them as well. We'll talk about contracts in a moment, um, which I you know I do like overall. But Chrome Profits is like if there's ever a card I see get trashed a lot of Imperial privilege, it's Chrome Profits a lot of the time. Yeah. I think we can we can wrap up the intrigue deck. I think it's quite good. I like what's in here. I kind of wish there were a little bit more conflict cards personally, um, but I think that there's you know a good many and there's good variety too. Uh, I like the modular cards, and um, on the whole, like I think this power level is much higher, and I think that's a good thing for the game. Like I think if you are um, if you are someone who liked Dune Imperium, but sometimes felt like your intrigues were a little bit like sus you probably would like this one better because they're they're just a lot more high power cards even like manipulates very strong like getting to set aside a card that someone else might get is nice inspire awe is maybe the weaker one of the weaker ones though if you do have a conflict card like putting a three cost card in your hand can be pretty huge yeah there's, um, some, there's some very we'll, we'll talk about the imperial deck uh, yeah. a little bit down, but there are some obviously very strong uh cards you can get for free fits for their reveals you know beast spoils is two swords shish uh can give you like some fremen bonds cankles of power can give you free swords. You know, four, some, um 
sort of things. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a few bits of speed, but there's some very there's some decent free costers. We'll, again, we'll talk about that uh, in, yeah. in a short in a short bit, but uh, right. yeah, that could be that can be pretty nasty. Well, let's talk about contracts real fast. So, um, I I mean, I don't have a whole lot to say about contracts. I think they're a very simple mechanism. Basically, you collect the contract from a contract space, and then when you go to the space on the contract, you get a reward. Like that's fine. I don't I don't have any problems with them. I think they're super fun. Um, like, I don't know. Like, I again, we've already mentioned that you should just be playing with them from. It should the be mandatory. hundred percent. Yeah. You should just have this. I get. I get the idea of they don't of like giving the option to not make them mandatory. But when it's like coming at the cost of some kind, and especially you've got a leader you can't use if you don't use it, you should just have this in every game. There's there's no reason. Not yeah, to. I actually think that the base effect of two Solari that's on. Um, the i can't remember the name of the the, the, first, the, the, the space sort of thing yeah. the space for yeah, well the space for um the emperor yeah right uh that i actually think that that makes that space significantly better um I think so. it's just really strange yeah i think because because the best everyone says that the best contracts are the ones that are not tied to spaces they're the the one that's the immediate the immediate to so there's one is the best two, one and you've got like some some that are harvest but you still got to go to one of the spaces uh um, yeah, yeah the immediate yeah. one is very popular but again this is again like i think people are very used this is coming from a very x emo bit background where people just bum rush solari immediately any chance they get they'll you know front you know double smuggle for solari they'll bum rush round one conflict if there's money you know people will jam wealth stuff like that i think that's kind of like it, it's a bit of that mentality crossing over i'm not saying that they're not good by any stretch of imagination but like if a set no. contract was like two solari and a card draw like you would see that get played almost every single round uh yes. like almost every yes. game you know and but but i think what were so, so but it's not to say that chrome contacts are reaped weak by any stretch of imagination i think what to me the contracts do i think it's kind of emblematic of like the extra layer of polish that i think uprising has had received as well it's it's a very cute way of offering rewards to players to go to spaces they might not do otherwise it again from 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 playing a lot of xmo we can get very ingrained on ourselves of taking these very particular routes you know of like of parving of what we want to talk to do i think contracts is a nice way of trying to freshen that up and giving some some divergence to that and offering the players and giving them some kind of neat little rewards you know like all right then like for example uh spice refinery go there all right you want to do the enemies for that but you know get a water for doing that you know that's pretty nice you know high council getting it for cheap uh espionage picking up free solari where you go there that might not be a space you go to often because you're not really interested in the card draw but you know the money on top you know that can be pretty nice i i think it, it's it's good for the game overall it just encourages people to kind of do little bits and pieces um you know it's just it's just a nice addition it's not that complicated it's fairly self-explanatory there's a little bit of, of gaming to it maybe of what is better than and weaker we're not really getting too much of like the power strength levels of it necessarily because i don't think that's particularly relevant i just think the concept of it existing yeah. it just makes for a more dynamic board um and if it means that someone has a reason to just stop spamming the same space again and again and again or maybe make someone and also there's the interest by play so for example like if say you've got um uh, someone's got the arakeen for the troop and the spy uh, contract for example well that's obviously really good for them but what it can end up doing like say if um like say gurney hallock's got that 
Well, what might happen is that other players might say, think, oh, well, maybe what I should do, rather than going to this place I was intending to go to anyways, maybe I should go to Arakeen first. Maybe I should stop them from cashing in that contract because it's very good for them. And I think that's good. You know, again, it's encouraging people to kind of yeah, go out yeah. of their, 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 their comfort zone a little bit. And it, again, it forces more interaction. You know, deliver supplies, for example. Obviously, it's a good spot. And people like the water. But if you know it's going to give them water and free Solari, and it's going to give them access to Swordmaster because of that, well, maybe you might decide to go there first. Maybe that water's not immediately useful for you right now, but the bump's going to be good, and that water's going to help you pick up some spice. Maybe you decide, okay, well, I was intending to go, like, Arakeen for some combat, but what I'll do is I'll go deliver supplies, and then I'll go research station. It just makes people have these different parvings of the opt to take. You don't have to. Not obligated. But I think that that is healthy, and it just it, it it adds to the dynamism of the game state, and it feels gives people different choices, and that can yeah. be a bad thing. Yeah, I 100% I agree. Uh, I don't have much to add to that. I think that you're right. The way that the contracts play create more interesting game states, and they give players a little bit more to do than the same patterns, basically. So it creates new patterns that are emergent, and I really like that. So yeah, contracts are a big big bonus for me i really like them i know that um Our when we were over at north carolina right. that's all right when we were in north carolina i know that um or no before north carolina we were talking to the um or cheeserable was saying that he didn't know oh like his contracts. old video yeah his first yeah one. but but he's come around on those of course like he's talked he's talked about yeah that. he was really and, not convinced but uh, no mm, i think that i mean it's worth talking to we'll, we'll, we'll yeah obviously like some of the contracts are maybe a little bit iffy value i guess i'll quickly brief introduction squid uh there's been questions of like the sardo car contracts because obviously that's ingrained into carino's uh, abilities um i do think the double car draw sardo car contract's not that great though i think the recall is really strong so well i mean i don't know i i think maybe we should save this for a different podcast because we, I, we, I we think should do we should do but I, I, it's just there's, i just love on the topic there, yeah, there's I, some I, interesting I, levels the thing i want to so, say about those contracts i think that they're variable based on the game state and that's what yes, makes them interesting yes, so yes, like yes, there's yes. a there's a game i recently played as shadam and had i taken the two card draw inst instead of like an arakeen contract for water i would have actually ended up buying a spice must flow instead when i hit uh Sardaukar. i would have had like i probably would have won the game but i ended up not doing that and i it cost me so like i think that those those contracts are really cool and i think that the decision space for them is also really cool so i mean they're just a big thumbs up for me and i'm gonna yeah. leave it at that just, and... just a general concept yeah, yeah. they're, just they're, general concept. they're, they're really good cool. for the game play with them every single time don't get you know even if this is the first game of dune imperium you have ever played in your life just put the contracts in it'll be it's a more interesting game you know it's far more interesting again except contract and dutiful service like do you want to go dutiful service and just pick up two coins Maybe you do because it's possibly a bit stronger, but it's just kind of boring. Have an interesting game. Play with contracts. Yeah. So um, I think we should move on to the Intrigue deck. But what I want to say about it before we begin, and I think we intrigue should... Intrigue deck. Not Intrigue deck. I'm sorry. The uh, Imperium, Imperium deck. deck <laughs> um, is that I'd like to just do a brief comment on it. I don't want to go deep dive into these cards because... No, we, we could do that. Time. We could do that separately. And I think we should do um, that. Yeah, uh, here's my like long and short of the Imperium deck. I love it. I think that the Imperium deck is a huge, huge improvement over the base game and Iximo. I think it's just, it, it does what it's supposed to do 
very well. The themes are crafted very well through the card interactions. Um, there's a clear theme of specific cards that like lots of cards that um, that give you two influence instead of one. Actually, quite a few cards that do that more than in the base game, which is just the power plays. Um, you have you know these public spectacles. You have these um, uh, what do you call them? Treacherous maneuvers. You know, and, and and these we've got these cards that just give you two bumps, and that's really solid. Like dangerous rhetoric has that potential, and then. That I think is beneficial to this game because it's hard to come by those um, those influence bumps. I like the cycle of cards that work with spies. I think they're all very good. They're all really mm -hmm. fun. All the cards in the game actually that interact with spies, I think, are a notch above most of the others just because yeah, spies are so agree. strong. And you know what? Um, the best cards in the game are still like reasonable. I'd say that, you know, the, the two high cost cards, Overthrow and Steersman, both of them are very good. Um they But it's are... not it's not overbearing good, is it though? Like we we think of like some of the cards we've seen in previous games where it feels like they're obviously very strong and they're they're expensive. They're gonna be strong, but it's not like it doesn't feel completely overbearing. Like you know, the, the natural comparison yeah. is like Steersman to say Quizzes Hadarak. That's the obvious uh, comparison. And Steersman probably is not as strong. But that's not necessarily a bad thing. Maybe it's just Kwisatz sometimes is a bit much. Especially when shipping came yeah. into the game. And Kwisatz Haderach is just like, it's just so absurdly strong. It is a, it's a step down from that. But it does give you a space uh, spacing guild bump when you buy it, which isn't bad at all. So, I mean, anything is good with that. Um, you know, the best cards are still good. And I feel like in this game, the cards that you're going to buy on the whole are just better and more exciting than the ones you're going to get in base game most of them uh, maybe even with the xmo cards like i think except for some of the really busted cards for xmo like these cards all feel really good um as far as like are there any duds like you know there are a couple duds there are a couple like i really don't think hidden missive is a very good card personally but we'll get into that and like fade can still tent not a very good card. Like there's no, some no, of these no, that no, are they're all winners. Some of them they're are not all a winners. situational, but most but of them are, are fairly solid enough. Right, but they're still situational in the way that I can see people picking them up in specific cases. Um, you know, and and I and there's some cards that here that are just clear winners. Like yeah. you can get like yeah, you know, your maker keepers or whatever and you know, your lo yeah. like like long level fighters interstellar trade. Like these these really high cost cards, they're good. Or the ones that print print points like Smuggler's Haven, Current City, all of those oh, are yeah. are good cards. Right as well, nasty. Yeah, but I think that all these cards, like I were saying, like they're costed well, just like the Intrigue deck is costed well. Like I think that's something that they do much better in this one than in Ix and Immo because you don't have any two cost cards that are just outright like clearly the best two cost cards in the game. Yeah, maybe I even mean, the best looking cards at you in the, in the shadows. Yeah, I mean, there's none of that. We don't have any golas um, to worry about. Like, I I, like I was wondering that... if you're gonna bring up gola. <laughs> <laughs> well, I like that we we uh, don't have those kinds of effects. Like everything feels right, and I think that they're unique effects enough. That <laughs> if you guys weren't around when gola first came out and CJ, you were you were sickened by it. <laughs> I, I was <clears throat> I was a little annoyed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but but anyway, I I just want to say that. I think that this is a huge improvement 
Um, I think that we'll get into the nitty gritty of what cards are like best. You can go watch, there's an Orsky video about what he thinks is the most overpowered cards. It's a really good watch. Check that out. Um, but uh, yeah, I think on the whole, I'm really pleased with this. I think it's, uh, all of these cards are really exciting. When they're in the row, like even the, the weaker cards, some of the weaker cards like Desert Survival. I, I like, to bring love that card. I love yeah. Desert Survival. It's a Fremen and it trashes cards in the desert. Like that's so good. Yeah, like, there, there is definitely a uh, an extra bit of weight to like the lower cost cards. Like um, especially from like from base game, you think of like obviously infantry, especially the scout. Scout, still worst card in the game, you know fight me yeah um you know whereas in this game like some of the one cost cards are actually pretty solid space time yeah. folding you know throwing access as folding. well as effectively hard projectors it's pretty good imperial soldier like that's kind of low-key one of my favorite cards in the game i i really enjoy imperial good. soldier partially because yep. i'm like partial playing as uh as, as irulan and it's like one of her best cards that sort of thing um a few other things that i've noticed as well from talking about the, the deck as well so Almost every single card in this deck has some kind of faction tag, apart from like maybe three of them, uh, which does mean that like tribalism in your deck building feels very much more a part of the game. Let's not say that it wasn't, but it feels very much like that's something the game's trying to encourage you to do. You know, go all in on Fremen to get those Fremen bonds. Go all in with like the benches. Uh, Orsky, bring up Morsky. So Orsky in that video talked a lot about the spacing guild and the, the, the potential for spacing guild synergy with like obviously stuff like Guild Envoy and discarding cards like say uh, spacing guild's favor and that sort of thing to make spice that sort of thing. Um, I will say that I do think while he's correct and it can definitely be exceptionally strong, I also think it's the hardest out of the lot to get a decent amount of synergy out of. Like when it's there and it works, it's unbelievably strong. But I don't think it's quite as easy as, like, say, Fremen and Bene Gesserit. I think those two are still fairly straightforward enough to do. You know, Fremen Bond, just get a big reveal going and let that funny stuff. I've had a couple of games where I've done that, like, with Northern Watermaster, Unswerving Favor, Shishakli, um, you know, even Ecological, Ecological Station, um, and just getting that water generation and just have all these cards just yeah. activate each other. Um, and if you can get Long Live the Fighters along with that, it's also incredibly, incredibly strong. Yeah. Um, so that's definitely very good. Uh, other thing I'll just quickly mention uh, before we uh, finish on this, though, as well. Um, there's no fold space cards now, so that definitely puts a big premium on faction access, uh, which is definitely the that definitely changes the value of cards. It does uh, prepare, prepare the ways being changed is definitely a much needed change. Some liaisons now you feel not so bad for playing those cards, and they can be enablers for you. There are a couple of cards I do think that are a little bit undercosted, and again we'll talk about this more in a, in a future podcast. Strike Fleet, for example, is completely crazy. Uh, Public Spectacle, um, some people call the Web of Power Play, uh, which is pretty good for its cost. It funds itself. Guild Spy as well can just win games potentially, stuff like that. Um, but the one other thing that I, I want to talk about in the future is the fact that obviously now we're in a world of no atomics. And some people aren't happy about that. Some people have gotten used to atomics and kind of like, you know, spin the wheel, make the deal a little bit and kind of wish there was some kind of way to 
Chunk Rogues are scared of, like, stale markets. I don't even think that's that big of a problem in this game. And I've always been of the opinion that I don't think it's an issue. It's it's more of a feature than a bug. Like, if you play a base game mm-hmm. and the Rose got a lot of kind of cheaper stuff that no one wants to buy, well, you play around that and you kind of make the most of what you've got. And if someone decides to open that market up, that's their decision. And then whatever goes from there. That That's just my thoughts. On it. There's more details on more of the cards in a particular form, but I'll leave this for the future. All right, so let's uh, move on to leaders. I think we're going to talk about leaders. Mm-hmm. Um, why, don't you, why don't you start about this one? I've got I've got some things to say, but probably going to be similar to what you have to say. So, yeah, I've I've covered a bit of ground here. I did spend some time going through kind of initial thoughts for the leaders. I did my preliminary like tier listing. If you've not seen that, then you should probably go check those out at. Uh, some link that will probably be featured somewhere around this content, but it's on the hidden assets channel. It won't be hard to find. Um, to keep it fairly concise, uh, I think overall I'm pretty happy with the leaders. I think it's refreshing that although the leaders still have like their own kind, of, obviously their own little their, their little edges and the areas they focus on, it feels way less uneven than what it did. Um, and I think even in base Dune Imperium. Like, it was fairly clear that a couple of leaders were just kind of better than others. And then once you added in the new leaders and you had X in between expansions, it obviously got very uneven very quickly uh, to the point where, like, some leaders in, like, a more competitive setting are just kind of, like, almost DOA, which yeah. isn't good. Um, now, we have to be honest, obviously, that's a bit that if you're playing sort of, you know, friendly and just kind of chilling, then obviously it's a bit of a different story. But you're still going to find that uh, Tezia Vernius is going to be Ariana more often than not. And that's just the way they're designed. Mm -hmm. That's just kind of what it is. Obviously, we don't know very much from a competitive standpoint where things are going to stand from this. But I just feel like there's no picks that are bad. Amber is like the only one that at the moment I think people are a little bit unsure about. Um, And I think that it's a little harder to get use out of her. Um, Jessica as well. She's really cool design, but in a more competitive setting... Is it worth the effort compared to someone like Gurney Halleck, for example? Maybe not. Saban is, I think, really strong when he's picked at the right time. When he's, If you just pick him every game, he's maybe not that great. He kind of reminds me a bit like a lasery Kaz in a way. When a lasery Kaz gets picked on a ball that's very beneficial for her, she's very good. But if you just pick her otherwise, yeah. she's kind of not that great at all. And Staban is kind of like a bit more of an exaggerated version of that, I think, because obviously there's star viability, so... Um, obviously i go into more details on what they actually do and the things you can do with that but i just think overall it feels like the banding between the stronger quote and weaker quote leaders is is a lot tighter um i think the only thing i would say though and um a couple other things uh muadib is pretty strong and he feels kind of a bit mandatory to pick a lot of the time in like position two. At the moment, we're just doing an open draw. We're not like uh, taking any leaders out. And he feels like you almost obligatory in a way sometimes that he's got to be picked in first and second. Because if he does get going, like he can be almost impossible to stop sometimes. Um, you could debate whether his presence, like warping the game state, like we saw in the North Carolina finals, like his presence and that early round changed all the game. You could debate whether that's good or for the game or not. It probably is, but your margin is going to vary. Only other thing I will mention is I, I fear that after a little while we might be yearning for a few more leaders. Like nine's not a bad amount, but I just feel like you know maybe three months, four months down the line, especially if people playing this game a lot. 
they're gonna kind of wish there was an extra leader or two um, yeah. and i i am aware i'm sure it's been mentioned that there's no short-term plans for adding more content uprising medium term maybe whatever they do first i think they absolutely need to get in some more leaders whatever they do uh and that's everything i would say like i think what's here is good but if they'd have made it 10 or 11 leaders, maybe, I think that would have been nice. But they haven't. Nine is still a decent amount. It's more than you get in base Dune Imperium, but obviously this is a much more complicated product. Yeah, I, I'm I'm going to agree with you and disagree with you in some ways. I think, yep. first of all, I'm going to agree with you. I think that there are not enough leaders in this game. I think nine is fine. But I would have been very happy with, like, three more. Um, yeah. I'm already getting a little bit wary of some of them and not not in the way that i'm getting bored with them i just like i think i'd like a little more variety um so you know i end up playing um i've been playing a lot of uh the emperor uh shaddam i really really like the emperor yeah he's good um, i really like irulan uh i really think gurney is maybe too powerful but um it's because, because he's so consistent. I think he's that's so consistent. The thing. He's so consistent. Like you can never pick Gurney and feel, oh, maybe I should. That was a bad pick. Like his his ring is solid. His always smiling ability is very very good. Um, they both play into each other. Yeah, like Gurney's just never a bad pick. Like yeah. if you're if you're in a situation where you're unsure what leader to pick, pick Gurney, and that yeah, 100%. maybe isn't a good yeah. thing. Uh, yeah, I agree. I think Gurney is probably the safe pick. Most yeah, of that's the why time. I rated him so high in my tier listing. I'm not necessarily because I think he's the best leader all the time. It's just he's never bad. I actually agree, and I, so I, I also did my tier list, and I had Paul yes. at the top. Uh, I've changed a little bit on that. I think that Paul is good. I think he's probably a tier, but I don't think he's yeah. better than Gurney anymore. And the reason I don't think that is, I think Gurney could do most of the same things that Paul can, but Gurney's extra troop from round one. I think is better than Paul's effect of drawing a card overall. Yeah. Um, because I, I think so it's, it's interesting and we'll get into, you know, we'll do our strategy talk another time really, I think, but uh, let me just put it this way. I think that there are play patterns with Gurney that let you bully people out of conflict so that mm. you win most of the conflicts mm. and it is, I've done it. Yeah. I've been taught how to do this, actually. Yeah, I, I've done it as well. Like, it can uh, yeah. get really oppressive on occasion. He can he can really wreck. And it's it's a little bit crazy to see. Um, it doesn't mean it's game-breaking, really. But it is it is interesting because a lot of players will think, think if Gurney's picked, then they can't really plan their turns the same way. <clears throat> they can't guarantee a conflict. And that's dangerous. Um <clears throat> pardon me yeah the, the weird thing is but, yeah. is like if gurney is it's, it's kind of a weird one so we've had before like this came up with like uh cheesables like wadib so it was it was noted that like you know say that ilban and tezia are like probably a bit too strong niximo okay well if that's what you feel then there was efforts made to like kind of temper that down and like adjust their abilities to make them maybe a fraction sort of not as strong if you think gurney's too strong at uprising and how do you make him kind of not as strong 
Well, I because think... what he does is so simple, but it's yeah. so effective. That's kind of yeah. the thing. And it, it promotes, as I talked about in the video, it promotes this kind of hybrid style, which is already really strong. Um, like, like hybrid beast, you know, when you go combat, but also you're buying decent cards is, is really, really good. And that's obviously exactly what Gurney is to a T. It's promoting yeah. you to play in probably the most optimal way to play it. Whereas, yeah, with Muad'Dib, obviously, like, he can also go crazy combat. But Muad'Dib's, like... You have to go worms with Muad'Dib. Like, if you don't get worms, you're not living off lead the way. It is not going to win you games. Whereas Gurney obviously will want to go combat, but he's not beholden to worms because he can just throw mass, mass 100%. numbers at people. Yeah. And then it's always benefiting him for his persuasion. He's getting decent cards still. Arakeen's so... Arakeen and his ring is just so, so good for him. You know, it's absolutely crazy. So that, yeah, Gurney's got a lot more flexibility for sure. Arakeen, Haga Basin. I mean, so Haga Basin throws in a seven power if you throw in a worm and two troops, but with Gurney it's in his ring, it's nine, which is pretty insane. That's yeah. one off of the double worm, which means that he's just like almost double worming for yeah. one water. And even just like his, literally, if you've got empty garrison, you go Haga Basin with his ring and you have a dagger in your reveal, that activates always smiling from one from yes. one from one visit you know that's pretty that's pretty wild. yeah so there so the one of the things i'm i'm gonna, and i'm going to revise my tier list a little bit uh down the road but one of the things i'm going to note is that paul uh whom i said was the strongest leader because his intrigue draws when you the game they do sometimes mm. um which is i think kind of nuts but uh again as you mentioned if you don't get worms with him he is pretty neutered pretty actually yeah, yeah, yeah. he's it's, weak it's such a big thing mm -hmm. and it's, yeah it, 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 is that a good thing like again his his presence on a table means that everyone has to try to neuter him because if you don't yeah. you just let him do what he wants he just absolutely can just crush games and they're just not even a contest sometimes yeah. I, I think it's fine honestly i think it's sort of self-balancing um in some ways and he can get really messed up if he doesn't draw access the first round. If, say, he's in position two, doesn't draw access, he's going to be out of the game. Like, Paul in position two without access to a desert or to a Fremen space yeah. is not yeah. a player in the game. Yeah. I and, and it's not and it's not like if you don't get, even if you get worms, you win the game. Like, you can definitely misplay. Go watch the finals from the North Carolina tournament. And Rob had this situation. He plays Muad'Dib, got Fremen access, won the skirmish, had Worm access immediately, mm -hmm. but it kind of fell apart on him a little bit. So, you know, it's that, not a guarantee yeah. it's going to win for sure, but it, you know, it, it's more of a kind of a, a theoretical kind of concept of because he's in there, does that mean that everyone else should feel that they've got to absolutely jam Fremen and jam Worm space in the block him? You know, that, that has some interesting tactical considerations. For sure. Um, Another thing about Paul Umadib is that he's very linear. Uh, he's extremely predictable and almost a little bit boring in that way. Yeah, I'd say he's one is... of the that's that's one of the problems I have with him now. And I played him a bunch and I'm like, wow, I'm doing the same play patterns every single game with him yeah. to the point where I'm like, does he do anything else? Yeah, I'm not, I'm not no sure he does. <laughs> Which is weird because of course you think that's a base doing Imperium. Mod, uh, Paul 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 Atreides, he is the jack of all trades. He's yeah. the flexible guy. He's the guy that, you know, you kind of, you keep your options open. You kind of, you try and play very opportunistically. Wadib is the complete opposite of that. And it's really stark the difference. Um, to the point where I'm not even sure if lead the way was the right ability for his ring. 
Like, getting that card mm. draw is nice, but the great thing of poor trading is that the card draw is that you knew what you were drawing into. Now it's just an extra card, and it could be kind of anything, really. It just kind of maybe just adds more variance, maybe. Uh, yeah, but I don't yeah. know. It's 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 a conversation for the future. It it keeps it's it's weird. It's a variant on the other leader, and it it's fine. Um, I think the card draw is fine. Actually, it comes in a lot really handy if you see a a big juicy card in the Imperium row. And or he's pairing a with pick. like a a, a spy yep. recall, I suppose. Yep. Stuff like that. So uh, then we have a bunch of other very interesting leaders. Uh, I think that generally overall, I'd say that this leader pick is much closer in line with what I'd expect like a, a base game to look like. Mm -hmm. There's there's no barons, unfortunately. There's no one. I mean, maybe Paul is kind of like the baron in this game where you kind of have to block him. Otherwise, yeah. he can get out of control. But the baron... The really stalled weird. Out. You think about that thematically, right? That's really it is weird. Strange. Well, <laughs> it's it's actually thematically correct. If yeah, for, I know. from the That's book's the perspective, because I mean the the power the power dynamic does shift in the book and from the third part of the book onward, and that's what makes it so exciting. And also, it's one of the things that um, that Frank Herbert wanted to emphasize in the book, uh, according to his own admission and interviews and things like that. That you know, power authority does corrupt governments corrupt things like that like those are interesting thematic aspects and so you know when we go into you know i'm excited to watch the second dune movie but one of the things that really excites me about how these movies are being put together is how they represent these ideas in herbert's novel or novels and then again i'm also interested in how the game represents these themes in these novels you know like in what way is power and corruption being represented in the cards? And and I think there are some really cool cards that that hint at that. You know, we've got this uh, dangerous rhetoric, which is a baron on it. But you know what? Like, it's not an emperor card um, or like Paracompass, which isn't a Fremen card. It's like they're they're kind of more Atreides and Har Harkonnen cards or Overthrow, which is like an image of, I think, supposed to be Paul sitting on the throne um I, I, as that was my assumption is that's what that was but i wasn't I mean, entirely that's, sure yeah i mean this is a spoiler alert if you've never read the books but basically that's kind of what happens not he doesn't really i don't think literally sit on the throne i don't think he really no. does that um but you know this vision of maybe overthrowing the emperor you know that yeah. maybe it happens in the movie i don't know how they're going to interpret it but yeah, screw like, you those things are cool <laughs> yeah right so i i love that stuff and um and so when I see the leaders and I see how Paul is kind of like uh, worked into this, I really like what they did. Um, I'm not really sure who Amber Matuli is. On the uh, other hand, I like I I like I've read. She's 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 the a house she's, series. She's, she's totally she's made up. She's a totally fictional character. She's not this, she's not in the books. Yeah, she's totally fictional. Uh, this okay. was confirmed uh, when I went through the leader things. If you watched uh, when Direwolf with Paul and Scott Hudson uh, went through the leaders, and they said, yeah, Amber is is completely fictional. Uh, they had the permission of the obviously the original copywriters uh, to introduce a brand new character in for Uprising, and I believe they've done that also for base game as well as uh, the expansion. Uh, for Rise of X as well, I believe uh, one of each of those characters are also totally fictional. So yeah, Amber's completely made up. Which one in base game is fictional? I actually don't know. <laughs> I think it might be major. I said they mentioned that, but they they mentioned in the video. Uh, Scott said, like, if you go back, you'll notice there's actually a couple of fictional 
characters that, that we've made as well. But it's all been by permission, obviously, original copyright. Mm. But yeah, Amber is she's totally brand new. She's, Interesting. She's okay uh i i seem to remember some of them in the lore but maybe they're barely mentioned or not but anyway that's cool i mean i like i like the theme of the leaders i like gurney i mean gurney in the books is so awesome and yeah. gurney and, deserves to be a leader like there's no doubt about that um he does, even if he he's does. a bit oppressive perhaps on occasion practice <laughs> but you know that is what it is you know then we have irulan uh Irulan is a, is an interesting leader, and obviously, I guess this is supposed to hint in more more how she's in a feature into the, the movie, maybe because she has like barely a part in the books. Um, you know, she shows up; she's later in in the second book, but she she's like at the end of the first book, and she's giving the um, epith epithets, um, epigraphs. Excuse me, not epithets. Epigraphs at the beginning of each chapter, uh, and that's it you know she wrote the history of Muad'Dib basically so yeah. I mean we've seen this represented in some some cool uh homebrew leader versions of Irulan and I liked those too except um, she was kind of busted she was busted but, but she was they were cool <laughs> but yeah. it was still very cool yes uh and I like that what she's done what they've done here like they pu she pulls a one cost card um and then she can trash it for spice. Like, that's kind of cool. It's, it's so, the most interesting ring of the game. There's no question about it. It's a really cool ring. Uh, it allows you to be really creative. Like, Irulan's probably my favorite leader. And I've got a decent one, whatever. Even if her side benefits, not that... Yeah, it's kind of like, eh, so be it. Like, Kronka's Insight is a really fascinating uh, tool. And is like has many different dimensions to how you decide to use it. It's very important to her. Like, if you draw that at the wrong time that can feel not too great but i do think yeah. she's fun she's very interesting but I, there are a couple of years i don't think are the most interesting uh i'm looking at you margo um like really I, I, as i as i mentioned in my 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 videos on this like margo is so simple that you can't really go wrong with her but at the same time, I That's really problem. struggle using her because she just doesn't interest me personally. Really? I, Interesting. Huh. I, I just don't enjoy playing. It kind of reminds me, it's a bit like Helena from, from Base Dude. Yeah. I really don't enjoy playing Helena. It just doesn't suit the way I play the game. I do a lot of faction stuff. It doesn't lean into that. And Margo with the spies, and the, it's just just it's just a bit too dull for me. I don't enjoy playing as her. Um, I've done it a couple of times. It's fine. But like Margot's just, it's a little too much for me on that side. I, I could play as her and probably do fine. But I find it much more enjoyable to play an interest. Now, I'd rather play Lady Jessica than Margot Fenrir, even though Jessica's probably worse because she's really awkward and finicky. But at least it's interesting and it makes you have to think what you're doing. Whereas Margot, you're just like putting spies on cities and just hitting cities a lot and getting ready yeah, for I mean, fire and just pumping troops in. And you get two spies when you go to the bear just because you want to spam espionage lot. That's <laughs> kind of what Margot does, you know? And well, it's, it's what just... it's the difference between a leader that is functionally relevant to the mechanisms in the game and a leader that is like creative <laughs> like that's just the way it goes like it's not a criticism it's just an observation and for me margo like there are it's yeah you know, it's like yeah, um yeah. and again going back to the Helena thing like like example like Drazer, for example plays helena with absolute bucket tons really good of her that's fine because he enjoys that kind of gameplay and he can get it to get into i just can't like helena yeah. for me just doesn't do it for me and i'd much rather play someone that kind of suits my interests, and that's fine Okay, other leaders we want to talk about. Um, so I guess I talked about, uh, I, I briefly mentioned Matuli, Amber Matuli. I actually like this leader, even though I don't, 
I, I, yeah, I'm trying to figure out how she fits Amber into the lore. Amber definitely caused a bit of, I wouldn't say commotion when she's first announced, but it very felt like, you know, you look at the nine leaders and you feel like one of them is not like the rest. And a lot of them did point the, the finger at Amber. Um, I yeah. do think she's better than people reckon, but the problem is, is getting the value out of her is very table dependent. Um, you know, obviously Desert Scouts is like leading into the general combat limping strategy and like charging people, but that's obviously good if everyone just totally spends all their resources in combat, but sometimes that doesn't happen. Phil Coffers, you know, a ring for a Solari and a Spice is great, except you gotta get that alliance. How soon yeah. you're gonna get that alliance, you know? What opportunity cost are you giving up for going for that alliance instead of other things, you know? I mean, if Amber can like get to like say... Uh, deliver supplies twice and just start shipping and just bombing that faction you know that's a reasonable strategy for her and i think she kind of is interesting because that's something shadam really wants to do shadam wants to get to shipping asap and turn his ring into a double bump it's absolutely devastating um you cannot let him have that Amber's kind of like wants to do a similar thing but for a different reason uh which is interesting but it's also not the most interesting you know, mm -hmm. like you can definitely do it as Amber, but it's there's nothing exciting about. Oh, that's all right. Oh, I'm gonna go shipping this round. It's it's not it's not exactly instilling a a grand deal of um, of excitement to me. So that's the only problem, yeah. Amber. Like you know, it's it's functioning. Yeah, you can do some good stuff, but it's 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 very mid game. Desert Scouts isn't really going to help you very much to start off with. Mid game, you might get some interesting value. Maybe you can mind game some people out of stuff um you know and field coffers is like it's there if you get the alliance great but if you don't get it it's kind of a bit inert so that is yeah. if you're gonna do that so, you might as well play as someone else so i think that her desert uh scouting her, her ability to, to retreat is it one or two it's one, one right her ability to retreat one unit is uh interesting and to me i like the retreating i like that it's built into a character with the reveal um i've mentioned this in my review like i think she is pretty strong because she gives a solari her ring is very flexible <clears throat> and i think the cool thing about her is if the game doesn't go early swordmaster if players do not rush swordmaster which doesn't always happen which doesn't always happen i think she's better mm. because fewer actions mean fewer troops committed to conflict more likely you're going to be able to get a cheap third place or a cheap the, second place. The, the, the problem of that, though, is then you're just completely gambling on conflicts. Like, if you get, like, the Arakeen fight early, or, or uh, the one that's the Emperor bump, and especially if people start getting worms, uh, Swordmasters are going to just start absolutely flying out, and then all of a sudden you're you're in some trouble there. So that's... that's, yeah. that, that's I do agree, but, like, if any of those conflicts sort of come out super early, uh, uh yeah, it might have a bit of a problem. Well, I mean, she can play a worm game, too, and... Uh, no she's calm there's no no reason she can't I, I think she just she's a kind of character who rewards just solid play i think she's a character who just like your fundamentals need to be very good and her ring kind of just helps you get some extra resources in in a pinch um rushing an alliance is good you know if you can get the fremen alliance early that's great um if not you know you, you should try to get an alliance somewhere i mean you don't have to i know a lot of people have said that she her ring is very less much less impactful than say uh shadams who also gives you a troop or lets you spend solari to get a bump um well, i agree i think shadam is just better than matuli um i think matuli is 
kind of down there now with uh, with Jessica. I think Jessica and Matuli are probably the weakest two leaders in the game. And yeah. Then you have, like the rest in the middle, and then the top is probably like Gurney um, and Gurney Shadam. Not no, I don't think Shadam or I don't think Stavon is good. No, enough. I know I, I know you don't. Like miserable. in the right board, he can. On the right board, he can be. But I know what you mean that's that's that you can't go for that. I know what you mean that's fine. Uh, yeah, but um, but I but anyway, he can be good or bad. But yeah, but Shadam, Gurney, Paul. Um, not in that order, but yeah, you, you those are the characters who are, who are more consistent. Even the Paul's not that consistent. It's pretty, it, it depends. I think Paul's going to depend on if we do like hidden picks with removed leaders, I think, mm. um, that might change whether he's good or not. I think that people aren't going to know if he's in the game or not. And that's the thing. Like now, like if Wadid gets like, especially in this four, one, two, three, that's kind of being experimented at the moment. Yeah. Like if you pick Wadid and first seat, well, second and third, no, you've got Wardeep, and it's kind of on their owners to like take Gurney or something, and I'm like not let you just boss combats. But if it's hidden, and no one knows if you've gone or not, then that maybe that makes it a little bit easier for for Mwadib. I think it probably is beneficial for Wardeep if we do hidden picks. I would imagine. Yeah. But that we'll find out in 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 time. Okay. Um, well, those are the leaders. It, I'm, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I I I think they're quite quite fun. I just wish there were a few more of them. You know, I would be super super happy with like a very small release, like a maybe ten bucks or something for like just some leaders. Like you know, just print some well, leaders. Uh, I was gonna say, of course, there is a way to get another fourteen leaders into this game. Oh, how do you do that? Tell oh, me. Oh boy, do we want to talk about this now? We, uh, probably... uh, we can talk about it a little bit. I don't. I, I, think, we, I think we should make it. But... This is the uh, the integration that this game possesses compared to uh, obviously bringing in components from, and resources and stuff like from base game as well as the expansions as well into Uprising. This is something that you have experimented with more than I have. Um, mm -hmm. So I'm a little bit reliant on you for like actual experiences as such. Um, I think from my general assessment though it's it's fairly mixed yeah so i could i can tell you my experience i played two games now with uh base game uprising and x i have not played with immortality i've watched a game of immortality x played should should probably explain uh if you're unaware yeah, in the rule book towards the back there is a small section it was, it was released in advance of the rule book explaining how you can incorporate uh previous uh the version of the game and the expansions and how to incorporate those into the game. There are certain things that developers say, yep, yeah, you can add this in. And there's certain things they say, this probably isn't going to work. But uh, there is a uh, an image out there. It's in the rule book. I do go check that. I just want to make a mention of that quickly. Yes, yes. That's really important. So, yeah, you can integrate these other things into the game. Um, it, it It's kind of like they tested that. And it's, it's a thing you can do. Whether you want to do that or not is up to you. But um, I did a couple of them. And I, I think that the X1... For me, in the very first game I played with Ix and Uprising, um, the shipping player run, ran away with the game by round six, I think. It was ridiculously fast. Um, I think shipping with Uprising is too strong. Um, but uh, there are possibly ways to self-balance that with a change of meta. Obviously, the perception that shipping is strong does change who does what and in what order. Um, I think it takes a lot of pressure off of the worm player, but oh, at the same time, yeah. yeah, but at the same time, it means that one player is going to be completely left out in the dust. One player is going to get shipping. One player is going to get wormed by round two. One person is going to get wormed by round three. 
one person's gonna be left with nothing yeah so it's a bad place to be like fourth position sort of thing it's bad and the the main problem with that is that there's no viable alternative as a strategy to power your engine like worms are a good strategy for your engine yeah maybe uh, shipping like is a good strategy jam, but you can't even jam spacing for the water because obviously the shipping person's already gone there and they're going to get all the resources they're so going to yeah, get that, the resources is, so yeah that that, that yeah. definitely does kind of kind of feel bad i mean it doesn't always work out that way in the second game i played it was a little bit different there were two pe two people fighting over shipping uh one of the worm players ended up getting the shipping bump combat that got them into the shipping uh which was good because it bounced things out but then the worm player won because they also got shipping yeah, so they it was got a shipping weird and worms yeah so yeah they got everything uh it was a strange one um i think i did like third place and second place in that and yeah. in that one but it was it was okay but like the thing about that integration to me is you're trying to um import stuff that you love from old games into this new one that's that's why you're doing it right yeah. if you loved shipping fine I, I recommend having fun with it it's definitely something to try out if you want to keep doing it maybe a good meta will develop like um my problem is that i think it dilutes competitive play a little too much i have not tried it with just immortality and i don't think i'm going to i don't like immortality by itself enough i've tried base game dune imperium and immortality and i didn't like it I did so, one or two games. It was it was a different experience, but it was it was all right for me. Yeah, for I everyone. mean, the, for me, and I think this is why I won't do it for uh, Uprising is that the yellow symbol in Uprising is already good because yeah. it gets you to worms, it gets you to the spice contracts, like it does a lot of good things. Yeah. Like the the thought of like going Hagger Basin to get worms in the conflict and you're doing like experimentation to get worms. So it's like mm -hmm. just absolutely completely wacko to me. Exactly. I, I, I mean agree. I I have to acknowledge like I am slightly biased here and I will acknowledge it here. Like I personally have absolutely no interest in playing Uprising with e either of the previous expansions. I don't care about it i think they suited the thing that was made for it being dune imperium mm -hmm. while i accept that obviously there is integration available to this i said about when this first came out i looked at the sheet for the the way to, to um and this might be unfair and if i, I apologize paul or or scott or, or whoever um you know in advance if this is a little bit unfair but to me when i looked at it i was like okay you can do this but it felt very kind of like conciliatory in a yeah. way like yeah. it was I think it is. You, it, it's you know it's it's there but you 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 cannot tell me that doing imperium uprising was built in mind to have immortality added into it it just isn't you know doing uprising is his own thing there are ways to incorporate these elements into these other things and if that's something you want to do an experiment with do so. I would encourage that. But Uprising was not designed with Rise of X in mind. And more importantly, Rise of X was not designed with Uprising in mind. And I think that's I, I think that's thing. more important. Yeah. That's what's um, more important here. You know, those features work within Dune Imperium because that was the environment it was designed for. Yeah. And that's where it should stay for me. I think so, Uprising as a solid package is totally solid and totally fine and doesn't need if there's gonna be any tweaking to this let it be uprising zone expansion it doesn't need stuff that was made like two years ago for a different product added into this and it, it to me more does not be equal better 
Yeah. I, I think at the bottom line for me is that it's a fun thing to do if you have some extra time and, you know, your friends want to experiment with some new things. But I'd say, like, uh, I personally see it also conciliatory. I think it's probably meant to help get people into the base game of Uprising instead of the other way around. So there is um, there is a very cynical uh, slant that be taken here, and I, I it is kind of cynical here, and it kind of goes maybe slightly into the the bit of confusion mentioning the time of this, um, and that's kind of the idea of like customization. It's something that I, I I you know we're obviously speaking with Paul Dan, and, and I, I do appreciate is that there's been one of those sort of like encouraging people to kind of customize the way they 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 play this game in Uprising specifically. But obviously, to customize the way you play it, you need to have base Dune Imperium and or expansions. And you could be really cynical here and say, is this a subtle way to try and get people to buy this and the base game if you've not bought either of them? You know, I'm, I'm not suggesting that is what's going on, but I can see one or two people being really cynical and suggesting that might be a thing. You know, if that's the case, so be it. Um, I do like the idea of, like, you know, the customization. We had a try of Paul Denon's House Blend, um, and that's been mentioned on other channels as well, kind of with some light incorporation of previous elements, and that was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it, but the problem is it then, again, it kind of dilutes the overall package of what you're trying to do. I think Dune Imperium, like, you know, like if I think even in a competition setting, for example, are you going to have uh, a competition for Uprising where you only have Rise of Ix added? You're just not going to do that. It's either Uprising pretty much on its own or you have, like, everything in sort of thing. Like, this half and half stuff isn't, like, the most feasible to do. In a, in a wider scale. Oh, this is this is this is a problem for me. This is not a problem for the wider gameplay. It's at all like if you're going down your local store and you'll play Uprising. Oh, I brought my Immortality expansion. Want to give it a spin? Sure. Let's sit down for a couple hours, and give it a spin. You know, and you might enjoy it. That's fine. So this is admittedly a bit of a, a narrow focus for me. But it's the sort of things I have to think about with with competitions and organizations. Sure, and sure. Stuff, so it's um, a fair criticism too. I think like you know, I I think Uprising itself has so many interesting plays. So many interesting decisions and decision points that it will be good enough for competition i think yeah, um it's, it, it's very I, interesting I, I agree i think it as it is it's fine it's already kind of like doing imperium with uh, with a worm expansion anyways it kind of yeah, feels kinda. like to me a little bit and i just for me as i said more is not better um you know maybe down the line i know there are already people that are looking to try and play uprising like with x and mo um, and we've seen it in chats like in TTS Club, bits and pieces of folks that are trying to like find ways to like integrate like only the experimentation mechanics into Uprising or only like this little particular feature. But I, I do think a bit of that is DOA, um, you know, and it's just like you don't need to. I think Uprising, like if you're playing Uprising and you're not enjoying the experience, I don't think that's going to be improved by bringing in interstellar shipping. You're just not going to enjoy uprising at the end of the day, sort of thing. It's just not for you. And if you prefer playing Dune Imperium XMO, I would say just just play Dune Imperium XMO. Importing yeah. those features into this, Agreed. I don't think is going to make a bad experience good, and I don't think it's going to make a good experience great. Personally, it's just more mechanics. There's more to juggle. You know, you've got spies, you've got worms, you've got shipping access, you've got experimentations. You've got Imperium Row. You add in all the cards. It's like 160 odd cards if you wanted to do that. Is that a good thing? Do you want a deck that's like bigger than, you know, like four people's ham sandwiches? I don't think so. <laughs> Probably not. I mean, for me, like what I, we've been playing IRL a lot 
And I think that I'm going to probably bring in some cards and make my own uh, Imperium deck and, and and bring in some intrigues and stuff like that. That's the and one thing I think is fine. I think adding in a fun. few select cards from the Imperium row and maybe a few select intrigues, like Paul Denon did with his house brew. I think that's mm -hmm. totally fine, and I think that can actually enhance your experience. There are some cards that are... Like, playing that in North Carolina, and, like, obviously these these uprising guys, like, oh, there's, um, you know, Gurney Hallux there or something. Or, or not Fufia, for example. Um, or, like, I'm playing... Is that, oh, there's Satellite Band. You know, it's, there's kind of a novelty to it, and I think in moderation, I think that can be a really cool thing, and you should look to do that. But... But none of that had any of the actual mechanics from the previous things. And I think they are better consigned to what they were designed for. Yeah. All right. I have a couple of things I wanted to mention. Let's move on. I want to talk about something briefly that no one really talks about. But the uh, starting 10 cards in Uprising is the same I starting was, 10 cards. I was going to bring this game. up, actually, because it, okay. does, it does run into something else. But go on. Yeah, no worries. Um, so... I was actually surprised that there were no changes whatsoever to the initial five, initial ten cards that you get in this game to start the, to start your deck. Uh, I was expecting something along the lines of a card that gave you a spy, or something along the lines of uh, I don't know a card that rewarded some other play, just some change in general, because these while these base game cards are fine they're they've been used a lot i mean they're kind of boring honestly we've been doing the same thing for oh, so long yeah. i was what, i was honest years? yeah three well yeah i was expecting something like uh alternative starting decks like yeah. thematic starting decks decks that came with the specific leaders and now i know we do get those with the emperor and paul for the six player version which we can talk about in a little bit but for me i was expecting something entirely different more asymmetric and balance towards the individual leaders like, yeah that would I... be for me that would have been kind of icing on the cake but um a nice progression toward uh, what i thought this game was doing um in some ways so i don't know maybe maybe it's fine and maybe i was just a hopeful sort of player here but i you know we've seen in other deck builders uh alternate starting starting cards and i I think that that could have been a really neat design direction to go with this. And I think a lot of people would have been super excited for that, even if it brought in a lot of imbalance or goofiness or whatever. It would have been a really fun variant to play with. So I was I was hoping I, I, for that. I, I do agree. Funny enough, so I actually speculated that they were going to do this in the, I think it was the very first Spy Satellites podcast I did. Not Spy Satellites, uh, the first, like, of the design diaries, or it was, like, my initial, oh, yeah. when they first announced it. Like, I was one of the people that first, like, looked into it. I was like, I noticed, oh, some of these cards have got these little signs on the top right. I think these are modified starting cards. And I was right. But we, we didn't know it was that was they were going to be integrated for the six-player game, nothing to do with the four-player. So mm -hmm. maybe there's a bit of unintentional misleading there, and maybe a bit of false expectation that got accidentally raised, perhaps. You know, maybe you can't necessarily fault people for that. That's kind of what it was. But I do distinctly remember suggesting on the first thing I ever covered for this about the possibility that players might be presented two different start decks and that you get to choose which one of those you want to use. Maybe one that's a little bit more kind of combat-y focused, maybe one that's a bit more resource-y focused, That'd so that fun. you can kind of really customize your sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Now, 
This obviously does lead into the six-player conversation where that sort of thing does kind of exist, but obviously six-player is its own kind of universe um, and its own sort of beast. But I, I do agree. I think it would have been very nice, especially with all this idea about, like, customize the way you play, you know, enjoy the content as you want. Well, that would have been a really cool tool to allow that, to give people the opportunity to play with um, a choice of modified starting decks. And I would actually suggest, I will go on record here and say... I don't think it's impossible if whenever an expansion comes out for this, I think it's very possible that might still happen. Because I think they'll see in the six-player, so. and I think people that have sampled the six-player, I think it's cool that you've got a different starting deck. Um, maybe there was some potential cost reasons they didn't want to do that, because they're affecting the shipping out an extra four cards worth of uh, decks worth of cards, which a lot of people might not use, so maybe that's better consigned to an additional content because then you can choose if you want or not but i do agree i think that would be kind of cool we've been using these same decks for like three and a half years um you know and obviously like we've tweaked starting hands before in immortality so there is precedent to do this um so i i do agree that would have been a nice touch um i think one other thing i want to make a mention actually talking about components here uh, a slight and it's again going into the six player uh the six player because you've got the physical copy um all these six player components they're all cardboard aren't they for like actually yes playing. everything's yeah. cardboard yeah it's all which, cardboard which is i i you know is a little bit of a shame i think what it would have been nice to have and they it's probably too late for this now why couldn't they instead of having those components be cardboard maybe just make like uh you know the the, the colors for the fifth and sixth uh players for the commanders and just make a set of uh, normal components for them, you know, Asian cubes and stuff like that. And yeah, if you want to give people the chance to customize the way they play, give them two extra colors to play with so they can kind of choose whatever color rather than it's always the same four colors. You know, give them a choice to, you know, maybe yeah. they want to play as the dark people because they're going to, the, the dark people, that sounded absolutely brutal. Um, <laughs> the, 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 the um, you know, like the gray agents because you're going to play as Fade Ralphor and it feels very kind of thematic, you know, and let people kind of play around that sort of thing it, it's not a big deal um but i do yeah. think like in, it's it's a bit contrasting everything else is this nice wood you know like the um the i actually really like the wooden sandworms i think i prefer them more to the actual plastics personally um that might not be a popular sentiment among many people but i actually <laughs> think I, quite, I think i quietly prefer them and that is just gonna be how it is um but yeah it's just little things like that i think there could have been you know, if you're going to encourage people to play how they want to, there was a couple of tools here and there that maybe you could have done it, but, you know, I understand if they didn't, but it's still bits and pieces here. Anyways, I'm, I'm going off topic here a little That's bit. That's okay. I think at least in the six-player game, it would have been nice to have different decks for those characters since it's already pretty asymmetric, and it would have been an interesting choice, like, which leaders go where. Um, because, I mean, after, you've cho you, after you have Paul and the Emperor and you've played the base uh six player game with like the re recommended leaders they they say you could just swap them however you want and that has that is actually my preferred way to do it is with mm. uh different leaders and that don't thematically make sense yeah. but are more interesting for the pairing so you've, um so you've you've played some six player i i yeah, have, I have. you played a bit of it uh tell us your thoughts so i really actually like the six player a lot uh i think uh, the online implementation right now is what is keeping me from playing more of it uh it's a little bit fiddly and it's a little long and it's hard to get six people together to play for that long online it's a long game as well like you think it's you like can a get a dude in four player yeah like 90 minutes yeah like for six player you're like you're 
it's not like Twilight Imperium levels yeah. of length, but in comparison to what we're used to, it's a pretty lengthy stim. It's also, um, I think, very interesting how the game presents you with resources and how you have to share resources. I think that's really exciting. I like doing that. I like the way that the leaders give resources. I'm sorry, leaders. I'm sorry, I should say commanders, right? Because yes. they're like uh, the commanders of these two sides give resources to their, um, you know, it's lieutenants or whatever. Yeah, and I think that those are that's a really fun thing to do. It's really exciting that the Swordmaster is a one-time use effect for each player. So choosing when to use it is a very important strategic choice. I like the new decks for the commanders. Like they are very, very fun to play. Like very fun to play. If you're playing as the Emperor, uh, you know, paying I think it's Solari to get six five or six like daggers is crazy fun and there's on reveal like there's some really cool stuff you can do in this game and i love the way they integrated it um i also think that the there's some like imbalances natural imbalances that the emperor can get a lot of money early on and that you know the the, the fremen side in paul side can get worms but the emperor can't the only way they can get him is through that one intrigue card right the unexpected allies like imagining a, an emperor with riding a worm or something is pretty hilarious but like there's stuff like that that that's really fun uh on the whole i think it's a really really fun thing to do and if you get six players together that's uh, a good evening i think and it's it's uh it's it creates a lot of good table talk there you know the one thing i will say though is uh playing online is kind of a detriment to it because there's all sorts of things that are distracting namely people coming into uh a, a game and just saying hi how's it going guys derails everything like conversation conversation yeah, like, this is a game that you need to be focused on everyone needs to be paying attention if you're not paying attention you're actually actively hurting the gameplay i feel because it's so long but that said like the strategic implications of when you do whatever in in uh, the six player is very, very fun. I like that the Emperor and Paul start with more points so they don't have to get as many, but like they can end the game for everybody and you're like adding up all your points at the end to see who has the most as a team. I think that's really cool. Like I don't have any problems with it. I think it's a good addition. Um, I guess the only sort of knock against it is that in my opinion, the uh, gameplay of the six player game requires a little more fundamental knowledge of Dune Imperium than Uprising by itself or any of the other versions of Dune Imperium. It's kind of like a bonus thing for people who really, really like Dune Imperium and are kind of like up for something different. That's how I feel. Um, that's not a bad thing. It just means that I would not go into this introducing the game to somebody with a six-player game. I think oh, that that's God. impossible. Can you, can you imagine that? <laughs> it, yeah, I, I could. Uh, that seems I horrifying. I, I don't oh, even know. Yeah, I don't know what I would do. It would be so confusing for them. How to scar someone for life. Yeah. The yeah. the other weird thing, and I'd say is just a little bit unclear how this exactly works in the rulebook, though we've been clarified, and, and I've, I've read it over and over again, that the... Um, the Fremen players, the Paul and, and so on, give everyone hooks when one when, when the Emperor not the Emperor, when 
when Paul gets hooks, Everyone all gets of their hooks. allies get hooks at the same time. Wow. Um, both of them, which is, it's, it's strange because it's contradictory to the rules as written that, you know, you give uh, a, a hook to somebody or you give a reward to somebody that wouldn't otherwise be able to get it because that's what you do. You can't keep those things like Paul can't actually use hooks himself. Mm. Um, I don't think maybe they can, but no, they can, but they get to give the worm to somebody. It's, it's a, it's a little weird. Yeah, uh, it's it's a, it's it's a bit cumbersome, isn't it? I think that's it's that's messy. My... It's messy. Yeah, it's yeah. a little messy in the rules, and I I think that there would have been um a better way to to do that. Like if you just because because if both of them get the the hooks at the same time, that's not the same as you know one of the players gets the thing. It it just it breaks that rule. So of of the of the um the leaders uh agents so just just to clarify that leaders agents are not normal agents they're like little cardboard tokens and they have little arrows pointing to the left or right and the ones pointing to the left affect the player to your left and the ones pointing to the right affect the player to your right so in the game if you're going to go to hooks i like it would appear that you'd be giving the hooks to the player to the left but as soon as paul gets the hooks both of them get them it's it's a it's weird a, it's, a, it's a hook edge case rule yeah involved. So just once you know that, knowing that um, you can't really prevent the Fremen side from getting hooks or the Atreides side or whatever you want to call it, then knowing that you have to counter that in a different way is important. And that's why I'm saying like it's not an easily grokkable side of, of, of the board. You really can't go into it going, I'm going to use you know, most of what I know from doing Imperiums. Like, no, you kind of really have to reprogram yourself and say, all right, I'm just going to go up these emperor, this Emperor track, get a lot of money, play the long game. Like I'm gonna, we're we're not gonna try to contest the worms. We're just gonna basically like bully them out of conflict. Like we're gonna try to get points strategically that way. Um, we're gonna you know abuse the emperor's privilege and get extra actions, things like that. So yeah, like those those things are really cool and they're fun, but it, they're they're really hard to teach and they're also um, they're they're not intuitive because the game doesn't play like any normal Dune Imperium. Um, and I think to its to its benefit, to its benefit, I think that that's what makes it exciting and fun is that it's different. It play styles are different, um, and your communication with your teammates is open so that everyone else can hear you do that. Just like, oh, like I'm gonna throw in three troops. They're like, okay, they're gonna throw in tr three shoot troops. Should I play this yeah. card that gives me Which I think X swords? You know? I think it's important that that's all above the table. Yeah. So the table talk is really exciting and fun. Um, I think that after like the hour to mark things get a little bit too heads down with it and if you're playing this game like well, i would never do it in a tournament because if, if you're playing this game to win and not just to have fun then i think it becomes a little bit um you can almost what do you call it quarterback this yeah. as the as the emperor or as paul if you're winning and you're like okay well you just have to play this and you can kind of quarterback it and i think that's that's a little bit of a knock against it too because it sometimes can seem like that um especially if you're openly sharing what you have in your hand though you're not supposed to be doing that like that's something that the game prohibits so so you don't do that um so i recommend not sharing hands like it's it's a bad idea it leads to quarterbacking and it leads to some unfun moments but just generally you know going into it having fun table talk like you know uh putting some some worms into conflict trying to beat the emperor that stuff is awesome and i think it's uh it's a really cool addition to this game i'm glad it is here it, it's a different way to consume your content isn't it i think that's that's sure. my 
the way I kind of look at it. Like, if, if you really enjoy doing Imperium and you want to try it a little different, it's it kind of, I wouldn't say it's the same as, like, Epic Mode from, like, base doing Imperium, but it's kind of the same sort of idea that if you really enjoy it and you want to just try it a little bit differently, well, here's a way to enjoy it differently. Um, you know, my concern, like, going to it is I do feel like the thought of that first game, especially if no one's played a six-player game before, um, even if you're reasonably well-versed with Dune Imperium itself, like, that first game could get a bit turgid. Yeah, yeah, uh, I, it's I agree. gonna be long. Yes, there's a lot going on. It's a bit complicated. You don't quite know what's happening. There's gonna be some rule graphic things that you're not too sure about. You're not used to this whole giving resource thing. Like I, I've got no issue. Like Epic Mode, I think was fine for what it was because while it was a different way to play the game, it was still kind of the same sort of thing. This is kind of. I don't want to say it seems gimmicky, because I think that's a little harsh, but, like, there's no way that six-player doing Imperium is going to become the most popular way of playing the game. I, You know, I kind of wish it... Yeah, I kind of wish it would, because there's... It's a really fun system. It's really fun to play in, and I honestly think that there's some really cool strategic moves you can make um, in it and with your teammates. Like, that ability to trade resources is two-way so you can give and they can give but they have to give different resources like i love that mechanism it, it's a board space that lets you do that it's just super super fun and it lets you plan your turns in a really creative way it's very similar to the thing one of the things we did in kindly um before i knew this existed but it was pretty pretty sweet uh and uh, they didn't actually know about the Camly either so i uh, i asked paul about that but yeah, so it's a really cool, and I I want to play more of the six player. It's hard for me to find five other players who want to play Dune Imperium. Honestly, in my group, I think I have three other players who like playing Dune Imperium, maybe four, uh, and I'd have to just like drag well, someone. What we'll have to do once the online sorted out, we'll get like me, you, and we'll get Orski, the dream team. There you go. Uh, he has he has he has to be commander, of course. We all know the image. <laughs> amazing image he posted it's i've still got it as part of my stream setup it's it's really super stuff but but yeah i mean it's like it, it's a, it's not really like I, I think the social i think as well playing in person i think makes a bigger difference because it's that social aspect of playing the game i think doing six player but like online obviously isn't quite the same because you're not in person you're not there to kind of like it's a little bit more matter of factly i guess in a way it kind of has to be because like it's hard to communicate because you've only got your voice you've not got like you know people communicate with their bodies in all sorts of ways that you don't even realize and i think part of that in like the six player experience is kind of like reading that amongst your allies sometimes and kind of especially as a commander you know so i do think some of that charm might be lost to the six player i, I mean there'll be probably a spot i'll give it a spin some when it's not like a particular focus for me all things being honest but it's like i'm more interested in doing that than like playing with instead of shipping so yep. i guess it's a low bar but yep. uh, it, it does need putting out but that that's the only thing i feel like i get the impression that a lot of people's first game of six player might not be the prettiest and i fear that might ward them off of thinking oh do we really want to do this again when four players just pretty solid that's my only concern. Uh, yeah, if you want to push through that, then maybe that won't be an issue. But I think that's gonna that might affect a few people. What I might do is make a uh, guide to playing your first game of six player. I actually think about, I was thinking about that. That's cause, not a bad show because it, it's it's much easier to be told how to play this game honestly than to read the rules. Even though the rules are just a couple of pages, they're all over. It's this big page, this like giant like rule book. This this uh, 
couple pages of rules and you're just like kind of where do I go it feels very disorienting because you have to take into account everything from uprising and then import your knowledge into this document and so it just has like setup stuff and then it's got like you know how this works and sort of the some of the things are tucked into descriptions underneath them it's a little bit disorienting but I think if you just had somebody explain it um, as you would a normal game like teach this would be easily yeah. easily taught so that's fair I think there's more or less everything uh, I think yep. I've always covered. I think the only thing I've not really talked much is like the artwork of this game, Stellar Job, uh, just like it. the previous one. Uh, did an amazing job for that. Uh, I, I, As I told Paul in North Carolina, everyone in that art department needs to have like their salary at least doubled. And I'm hoping <laughs> yeah. that that has been implemented. Um, that would be very much good for them. But they've done a stellar hell of a job for that. Um, so I guess as we kind of wrap this up here, uh, I kind of bring you back to the question that I asked you. At, I asked at the very start of this. Um, would you recommend someone get this game instead of base Dune Imperium? Because I do think that's what a lot of this boils down to. If someone, if someone doesn't have base game, do they get this? And if they do have base game, do they get this? Because they are two separate questions. Yeah. So I would say if you loved Dune Imperium and you have it, you should probably get this. I'd say if you uh, are on the fence and you're like, I want to jump into Dune Imperium, but I don't know where to start. Uh, first of all, I would try um, playing the base Dune, game. Maybe Dune Imperium it. Digital was a good place Digital's to Digital is a great, a great way in. If you don't have the money for Dune Imperium Digital, find a friend who has Dune Imperium. I know that lots of local game stores have copies of Dune Imperium for borrow. You can probably like play it on premises mostly, at least in this area they do. Um, find a friend who has it and try it out. If you liked it, but felt it was a little too simplistic, go to Uprising. Uprising has enough going for it that you will be satisfied. Um, for those of you who, you know, have been playing online and are looking to buy a physical copy of the game, but aren't sure if you want to invest in Dune XMO or Uprising, I honestly would go with Uprising too, because it seems like it's the most promising, has the best overall production uh, the the excitement's really high. It has good drama moments. Like, you know, Dune Imperium and Ix and Imo always had this kind of gradually raising stakes all the way to the end. Like, you know, things get more and more intense, more and more intense, more and more intense to the last uh, kind of uh, climactic moment, right? Mm. But uh, the, contrastly, uh, Uprising has these micro peaks of climactic moments where you're like, everyone's going in oh, okay, we have a downtime. Everyone's going in. You know, there's like three or four more of those kind of tense moments than in uh, base games. So I think that overall, this feels more like an action movie. There's a lot kind of, of dopamine about, isn't there? There's a lot yeah, of there's dopamine. a lot more action movie-esque things going on in this one. It feels more fun uh, in a very visceral way. Whereas I think Dune Imperium base game, even with Ix and Immo, feels more like a, like a sturdy Euro. Uh, and I guess that's the best way to say it. it's a sturdy Euro with a nice gradual climb in the way that the curve of the game goes. And then it, it, it feels like a maybe like a long term movie where this one feels like a bunch of like a, a movie that's maybe like piloted by or, or, or directed by, I don't know, um, I don't know, some some like action director, you know, so some like crazy action directors like got explosions everywhere and stuff like that so yeah, not to be crazy but you know that's some some very talented action director who has a a good eye for explosions and tension so that's what i'd say um so if that's what you want then this is for you i i as part of 
getting ready for this, I sampled like some other reviews, you know, written form, video form, that sort of thing. Uh, one of which I want to make a mention of uh, was from Dice Tower. Uh, with obviously, I make mentions partially because uh, obviously, had Roy from Dice Tower was at the North Carolina event. It was lovely to meet him. Lovely, great guy. But I was watching through the Dice Tower review, and there was a point I think that was made by Chris, which I thought was actually very fitting for Uprising. Yeah, Chrissy. Uh, yeah, Chrissy. Um, he kind of likened like base Dune Imperium to Uprising, kind of not too dissimilar to Twilight Imperium Three and then Twilight Imperium Four, and which like fundamentally they're obviously kind of pretty similar. But it's like the, the when the fourth edition came out, it was kind of like almost its own patch of the third game in a way. You know, it tweaked with some bits and pieces, some inner mechanics, but it added obviously a fair amount of new content. It gave everything kind of a fresh coat of paint, um, just a bit of polish around here, kind of evening out some of the things that didn't quite work in the previous version, adding a couple of extra elements as well. Um, and I do feel that's kind of where I'm at with base game and uprising. That's not to say that base game is uneven by any stretch of it in the at all. Well, I do feel there's a you know that, that's where I'm at here. As I said at the start of this, like if you haven't got any of them, I would probably say in your interest in one, just dive into uprising. Um, I think it's better for you. It's a better pound for pound box. Um, you know maybe. You know, you might if you got a chance to try before you buy, do so for sure. But I do sure. think that uprisings is probably the way to go for me. I agree. Awesome. Yeah. So yeah, thank you all for watching. Thank you all for listening. Uh, if you enjoyed this podcast, please like and subscribe. Give us a thumbs up if you liked it. If you don't like it, that's fine. That's cool. But you watched all the way through the end, so I hope you did. And we will see you on the next episode of Spy Satellites. Take care. <laughs>